Welcome to Unbooking the Territory Season 2, where we look at the beginnings and ends, the first and last, the alphas and omegas of professional wrestling. I'm one half of your hosting duo, Dan Griffin, joined as ever by my partner in podcasting pissedery, UTT, Rob. Rob, how are you, mate? I'm doing good, Dan, doing good. Just, uh, uh, had an evening uh, watching the cricket and now I'm uh, well up for uh, talking a bit of AEW. Just going straight in with it, yeah, we're covering the first ever AEW Dynamite. So now that we've got the topic out of the way, we may as well introduce our guest and it'll come as no surprise that since we're on AEW... We've got Horatio back. How are you doing, pal? I'm very well, thanks, guys. And thanks for the, the invite back on to talk about the EW episode I really, really want to talk about last time, which is the very first episode of Dynamite, a very special show for me personally. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, well, that was two we... times for AEW Plus last time, so we had to do something <laughs> that could watch for free. Yeah. <laughs> things have was... improved since then, obviously. You no, this was on for more. free. <laughs> yeah. They're now giving £2 cash back a month, so it's swung it for down. <laughs> I just looked up all out. Um, it, it's down as £15 with £4 cash back. Plus, I can buy it on a um, you know a four times Google Play bonus day. So I'm going to end up paying like £9.50 for it. That's a bargain. Probably still getting overcharged. <laughs> Actually, I, I've no idea to be honest. I've, I've I've mentioned a couple of times. I'm just I'm so far I'm, I got so far behind that I'm just I'm kind of given up. I, yeah. I keep up with what's going on, but um, mm-hmm. I've uh, it's just sort of lapsed for now for me as uh, as AEW. So I probably won't be watching all out unless um, something unmissable comes on the card. But I'm uh, I'm <laughs> I'm still debating whether to buy NWA seventy four, which by the time this comes out will be on the verge of NWA seventy five. <laughs> um, but yeah, we're uh, we're back on with uh, with AEW Dynamite. So I guess we'd best get some uh, beer recommendations out of the way. Horatio, what would you recommend people drink while watching AEW Dynamite? Gonna be a renegade again, like I was last time, and not talk about beer. I'd recommend this uh, Thistle Cross cider, which I've just discovered. One because I'm feeling a bit patriotic, and it's made in <laughs> Scotland. <laughs> two, because um, it's effervescent and bubbly and exciting. A bit like the first episode of Dynamite. No accidental segues there. But yeah, Thistle Cross, if you're, if you're, if you're a fan of cider. And um, I'm quite fussy about cider. I basically hate all kind of standard ciders that you get in pubs because they have way, way too much sugar in them. Mm. Um, but yeah, Thistle Cross is awesome. It's quite sharp. It's like proper, proper job. Yeah, I've had this really crossed before. It's not a bad drop at all. You ever had it, Rob? Uh, I've definitely had stuff from that brewery. So um, I don't know if I have that particular one. but And I think I've actually got some in the fridge. <laughs> I swear to God, you're going to get a beer cellar made. Like most people would have a hidden wine cellar. You can have like a vault <laughs> underneath your house. Like a bit like in Fallout. If you want for these concrete floors. <laughs> 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 so what would you recommend Rob 
Right, well, Sammy Guevara is at the stage where he's coming down to the ring with a panda head on for reasons, which was a bit crap. Um, so I'm going to recommend Red Panda uh, by Brew York, which was a 7.1% IPA. And I thought that was a bit crap. I gave it two out of five. So I thought it, it tied in quite <laughs> nicely. <laughs> You're taking over Beth's, um, Beth's idea of recommending stuff. Well, just the whole thing with him having the panda head on, you know, because the first time I saw the photo of it, I thought that was quite cool. Uh, I think it was tri- uh, AAA that it was in at the time when I first saw it. Uh, and then he sort of comes down to the ring and he sort of just, he, he's pulling this funny face. And I don't, I don't know who's told him it's a good idea. <laughs> it's yeah. like... So I remember um, so he was on Jericho's podcast quite soon after that. And uh, Jericho was like basically saying... Like, really glad we got rid of that panda head, Sammy. What was all that about? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think Chris had a quiet word. I, I quite like the panda head. I have to I have to disagree. I thought, I thought it was quite cool. I think that um, his, his ring walk was very interesting, though, because it was the ring walk of somebody, I think, a bit overwhelmed and a bit, like, maybe almost like, you know, the little boy. You can see the little boy in the ring walk, I thought. But, it, but it's interesting to see him and you know in his very first performance. I mean, we, we, yeah, we, we said it last time when we did the AEW Dark episode that because it, it's so recent and AEW's bit not been going for that long, you see people today and assume that's how they were when it started. Uh, and there's there's some people who've had a fair amount of growth uh, in the, mm-hmm. uh, the character. I don't know about that. Sammy's still a bellend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was more mixed with It's just a different, just a different, maybe a different flavour of Bellin. Different flavour, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, as for my recommendation, I've tried to tie it into uh, into something wrestling related. Um, AEW is based in Jacksonville, Florida, so I recommend Florida Vicer from Thornbridge Brewery. Four point five percent fruited sour, raspberry and strawberry flavours. You can get it in Tesco for dirt cheap, and I gave it a four and on tap because it's bloody lovely. It's like getting pissed on fruit juice. Yeah, I seem to remember that one being nice. Yeah, it's good stuff. It is good stuff. Does Beth have a beer for his robber? Is she still boycotting us over the uh, over the mockery of her ratings? Oh, she tried to claim the other day that it's too much pressure because it forces her to drink, so she's got stuff to uh, recommend on the show. Although that doesn't stop her drinking, in all fairness. So uh, I don't know if it. I don't know if it is too much uh, pressure. Let's just go and see what the last thing she checked in was, and see what rating she gave it. So the last thing she. Oh, actually, no. This is this is a good one. We went to a beer shop uh, slash bar uh, in in Ban Oswick, Ban Oswick Tap, and they specialise in uh, Belgian beers, and we had a really good chat with the guy there. But they were selling some charity beers for Pendle Side Hospice um, from Free Peaks Brewery, which the guy who worked there had, had actually um, been a, a brewer previously for Free Peaks. Um, so it's all for a good cause. She gave it five out of five. Uh, it's a decent beer, and yeah, people should get on that one because yeah, they're trying to raise awareness for charity, and only six people have untapped it, which is uh, a little bit sad. But yeah, um, yeah, do that. Getting pissed for a good cause, you can't go wrong. Yeah, so I, w- I was going to take the piss out of it, but yeah, actually, that that was quite a laudable. <laughs> <laughs> um, so speaking of drink, I I just saw the Thistley Cross in uh, in your hand ratio. Is that your your tipple of choice for this evening, or have you That's you got anything fair. else on the go? But certainly, as I've got, I think I've got some other cider 
um, for for half time. I'm trying to remember what it is. It's, I think it's um, it's a Ponzi cider. It's a French Breton um, flat mm-hmm. cider. I'm quite fond of that that sort of thing. So yeah, that will be that will be it. I think for me. Very nice, Rob. What are you on? At the moment, I am on EOS from Tartarus Brewery. It's a Belgian brew ale. It's the 2022 edition. Just for consistency, I've given both the 2022 and the 2021 four out of five and untapped. So I think it's probably stayed pretty much exactly the same. It's 11%. If you want to drink Tartarus beers, go to tartarusbeers.co.uk and put in the promo code UTPPODCAST15. You get 15% off. What do we do? You've got you've got you've got a sponsorship. We've got a discount on beer. <laughs> you've got you've got a discount on beer using your own code. Is that you guys you guys have made it? Yeah. yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> and uh, and all being well, uh, as at time recording, this Sunday is Tartarus's second anniversary and having a a tap takeover at Trembling Madness and I'll be uh, I'll be popping down to sample a few of their new beers live and straight from the tap. Wow. Perfect. Oh, well, it's open to anybody. I just it just happened to be about twenty minutes from my house. <laughs> I said, having your own podcast like codes to get a discount on beer is officially making it. Though, let's be honest. No, yeah. that's that's what we think. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're happy with that. <laughs> I think so. But we're we're still open for other beers um, to. Uh, well, and actually, in my hand, I have a Magic Rock beer, and the amount of Magic Rock we've drank on this show—I mean, there should, <laughs> should be given a discount code. We're perfectly honest. Uh, High Wire Tropical. It's a five point five percent, and then after that, from Sagatuck Brewing Corporation, I've got Oval Beach Blonde Ale, which is a five percent Blonde Ale. Very nice. I'm on. Uh, I'm back in Brew York, hometown. Uh, hometown the, the drops. Ma- and the amount of Brew York we've drank on this show, they should be giving us a <laughs> promo code. <laughs> um, I'll just, I can just keep trying to get all of them that they bring out. So I'm on the Flores Guava, uh, which is a Sabro Coconut and Guava Pale Ale, 5.5%. It's bloody lovely. And then I've got Clever Gile, I think it's called, which is Strata and El Dorado at 5.1. And then funny you should say Magic Rock, Rob, because I'm on Bearded Lady, which is a Bourbon Barrel Imperial Stout, 10.5%. I think that's... Uh, 2022 version of one they've done previously. Yeah, I, well, I had that pre-pandemic and and wasn't a fan of it at all. I actually, I actually had that at the tap. Um, I wasn't a fan of that one, but so uh, ho- hopefully it's improved since then. Might be better out of the can. You never know. It might be. It might be. Yeah. We live in hope, don't we? <laughs> right, quick sweep before I get into the next bit. Don't worry, Horatio. There's no um, there's no satellite base today. So we we won't be playing the drinking game. Oh God, yeah, Tony Shivani and the yeah satellite base one, yeah moon base one or whatever it was. Oh, Isn't that daughter or whatever moon base one? <laughs> <laughs> they brought it back recently though, didn't they? Because I, I I was watching something. I don't watch Dark or Elevation really, but I watched one of them recently, and they brought it back. Or maybe it never went away, and I just stopped watching Dark. I'm not sure. And I well, thought you do the guys when it came on, you know, I was like, oh yeah, those guys will be having a good laugh at that. Well, you do know now we've got to do a dark elevation next. And <laughs> the next time you're on, and if there is a satellite base. Oh my God. Uh, to, to be fair, now you've uh, sprung for AEW Plus, we can do Rampage. Yep. I, haven't, I haven't sprung for AEW Plus. 
We need to do it's, it's Rampage second second episode you really want to watch rather than the first one though, right? Oh, we said this before when we did Dark because the, episode two of Dark was really good and, yeah. and we, we thought we were reviewing that one and then we just weren't. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. Ah, well, it'd be great. So, best get into everything about Dynamite then, uh, which I'll be honest, I read all the info, thought I had a good handle on it and, uh, you know, real life gets in the way, it's nobody's fault and uh, so if I'm a bit rusty on some of the facts, I do apologise. But anyway, uh, AEW was launched in January 2019. On May the 15th, uh, AEW and Warner Media announced a deal for a weekly primetime show airing live on TNT, the former broadcaster of WCW. And they'd also be streaming live events and pay-per-views on, uh, on Bleach Report live in the US and Canada. In the April, why does it jump from May to April? I just fucked that up anyway. In between that, Jim Ross announced... Uh, I think that's probably right, because there was a long time, and I think there's about four pay-per-views, for like quarterly pay-per-views, before they started with Dynamite, wasn't there? Oh, right. was it April 2020? So, so Double yeah. or Nothing was their first, and then I think all... Sorry, no, All In, uh, all in wasn't technically an EW pay-per-view, though, was it? Because that was like an ROH thing, mm-hmm. almost. Yeah. And then I think Double or Nothing was the first EW-branded pay-per-view, and then all yes. out happened before Dynamite started, because I think the 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 title match between Omega and Jericho, where like um, Moxley showed up, that was like the big moment before TV, wasn't it? Like, and then yeah. Dynamite started after that. So I think they'd had two. Oh no, and they'd had um, what was the other one? Was it Fight Fest? Yes, yeah. I thought it was Fight for the Fallen. Uh, they could have as well, I think. Have I'm could sure they both, had three yeah. We could have had both. Oh, you're right, actually. I think you're right. I think those were both pay-per-views, actually, now that I think about it. Yeah, well, according to my notes, anyway, in April, Jim Ross, which must be April... It can't be in April 2020, anyway. But in right. April, yeah, JR confirmed that the show would be two hours, and during the Fight for the Fallen event, Jericho revealed the show would begin airing in October of that year. Uh, on July 24th, we got the, the actual date confirmed, which would be Wednesday, October 2nd, and that it'd be broadcast from the Capital One Arena in Washington, D.C. And this first Dynamite sold out within three hours of uh, tickets going on sale. That was the absolute hype for it. Cheeky JR, he said 30 minutes in the show. Is it wrestling having to make everything sound better? Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, what is it, the, it's like the attendance at WrestleMania 3 or whatever. Is that the one that's the... Yeah, <laughs> ninety-three thousand people. There was ten people in a fuck ton of mirrors. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the logic behind airing on Wednesday night, according to Tony Khan, is that they uh, that uh, TNT aired the NBA on Tuesday and Thursday night, so they just wanted to sort of sandwich in between uh, and avoid competition with the NFL. Uh, on September 19th, 2019, the show's name was revealed as Dynamite, and there was a two-hour preview show called uh, Countdown to All Elite Wrestling Dynamite, which aired on October 1st at 8pm, and for a countdown show, averaged 631,000 viewers. Which, to say it's just a build-up show, is pretty damn good. It's a lot of hype for this show. I mean, I, I don't think AEW have actually topped the viewership. No. You know, for no, this No, I don't think they've got even, like, within, like, and is it 1.6 million or something like that for the first ever time? I'll get to that. <laughs> but anyway, I think I'm pretty sure the highest non debut episode was 1.4, which was for Blood and Guts. Uh, was that two summers ago or something like that? 
and uh, I think even like 1.4 million is obviously like they're usually well short of that mm. um, date, you know, week to week or whatever. Well, on October 2nd, 2019, Dynamite debuted on TNT and averaged 1.409 million viewers. Ah, and, okay. And it had, uh, there were, four, were 14,129 in attendance at the Capital One Arena, which made it the largest television debut on TNT in the past in the five years preceding it. And bonus, Capital One, we could get ourselves a Buff Bagwell Capital One credit card. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, just by pure coincidence, uh, on the same day, October the 2nd, NXT made their two-hour debut on the USA Network, uh, and they averaged 891,000 viewers. Um, Put NXT on for two weeks before? I'm sure they had two weeks unopposed for NXT. They did. This was their two-hour debut. Uh, oh, the two hours, right. Yeah, Sorry. the previous two weeks were just, uh, were just the one hour. Yeah. And uh, just a little... Bit of info in 2020 TV Guide listed Dynamite as 57 of the top 100 shows on TV and describing it as uh, AEW Dynamite's arrival was an electric jolt to mainstream wrestling, which had gotten creatively stagnant over the last few years. And that is actually more than fair enough. I've done a lot of AEW bashing, primarily from the point of I just want it to be good, to reach its full potential and to bring back, uh, to bring around another sort of golden age of, of wrestling having mainstream popularity um but the anticipation and the hype and the excitement surrounding dynamite was enormous like we said before it, it was so exciting i think i think it's um obviously we're talking about 2019 here but i mean and i, I don't i don't really follow wwe very closely like apart from podcasts and stuff but like i just feel like where wwe are now it's because of AEW, like like this much improved, like WWE product is I think in part because of like having to react, or like you know the sort of actions that have like led up to Vince leaving and things like that, have definitely been like partly motivated by having to have a competitor, and having to react to that. And I haven't well I can't say I've watched Raw or anything, but I've just heard that it's like good, <laughs> is what I've heard recently. <laughs> I think um, I, th- I think you. I don't know so much about the mainstream, uh, the main shows, Raw and SmackDown. They definitely changed things up in NXT. Yeah, yeah. Um, which were obviously the, the direct competitor for, well, I'll say direct competitor. They were on both on Wednesday nights for a long time. The main shows, I'm not sure it really had too much in Vince McMahon's brain. I, th- I think, because I, I, I was watching Raw and SmackDown and NXT and... and uh, I, I loved the quirkiness of NXT 2.0. Uh, and I know it's not everyone's taste, but there had definitely been an improvement in SmackDown pre-Vince McMahon leaving. And right. I think it's got I think it's got better since then, but I don't think it's the leap that everyone says it is. And mm. because a lot of people weren't watching it, so they, uh, they've right, put yeah. it and gone, oh my God, it's so much better because <laughs> from what they remember rather than this sort higher, of higher up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> improvement all along there are things there are certain bits though that i really do like especially like the video packages they're putting together for the title matches and you know you'll see people like harley race or pat patterson um you know using wcw footage that kind of thing and using the network and, and really leveraging on the, the 
the history of the company and that is a unique selling point of wwe that, that they've always ignored so th- there are things like that that have been a, a definite a definite step in the in the right direction really i just think a lot of people because they haven't watched it for so long didn't see some of the, the previous bits to it yeah yeah that's fair i'll i'll defer to your uh your better knowledge of both um, AEW and WWE on that one, Rob, to be fair. Because there was a time where I was just watching AEW and Impact, so I've really, I don't know how, sort of, quote, quote, bad, sort of, Raw and SmackDown got. I do remember being at yours and the first Raw I'd watched in forever was when they had the uh, the Lashley, Lana, Liv Morgan love triangle uh, going on, which was not the best thing in the world. <laughs> I'm not sold on Liv Morgan. I know, I know she has a, a hardcore fan base that adore what she does, and that's great. You know, if, if people have made the connection with her, fantastic. Never at any stage in a WWE run have I got it. I don't, I don't, I don't get it, but that's me. Fair enough. Yeah. I don't, I don't, um, I, I don't, I'm not sure. I think probably the last episode of Raw watched was probably around like 20. You know, like twenty years ago or something like that. But <laughs> did it exist then? Maybe that's a load of rubbish. Did it? Oh yeah. Did it? Okay. I'm mostly going on people that review raw because, like, you know, for a long time when I got back into wrestling because of AEW, I was then mm-hmm. listening to podcasts, you know, like yours and like you know some of the other big ones, and I was like f- listening to the reviews of raw, and I was actually really something quite cathartic about like listening to something like really bad TV being reviewed. This is the weirdest thing. It's like, it shouldn't be good, but it is. You know, like like TV that's just like, oh man, like Mrs. Brown's Boys or something like that. You know, it's just like, yeah, how, how is this entertaining? Sorry, that's a, maybe a bad example for some people. But, no, it's um, a pretty, that's a pretty good sort of, example. That's what, that's what I mean, though. Like, there's something quite weird about hearing someone getting, like, taken to cleaners every week. And then, but there's a really marked change in, like, people's talking about it since you know like since Vince like stepped back basically um so I don't know I don't know if that's maybe just a perception thing or or it could just be a short term you know they change something they change stuff now and again don't they um but I, I just feel the whole sort of I don't know maybe it, maybe it's more a Vince leaving thing than things actually changing but I feel like the whole conversation around WWE is so much more positive these days yeah maybe but, but... because they're kind of horrible misogynist Millionaire, yeah. like you know, who uses people are is gone for the moment, you know, and, and maybe maybe he's just been a scapegoat as well, but, but that's how it feels to me. They've definitely got a lot more goodwill from the fan base, yes. and, and yes. you need that, you know. I I, yeah. I I always think about TNA because TNA had that lol TNA perception, and no matter what they did, and they put some absolute quality programming in out, but you know, it always got shit on from a great height because people have this vision of it at least if people give wwe a chance then they they can succeed or fail on their own merits what well, um maybe just like to round this off then because i think it's quite interesting like obviously like a lot of people eulogize about like uh, sorry i've just it's quite out of my head what it's called now what the black and gold brand what's it called again nxt nxt obviously people like, eulogize about that and it had its like big golden period like where from the benefit of me, really, like where in its sort of cycle, like was it in twenty nineteen when Dynamite like showed up? Was it was that on a decline at that point, or like what what was the sort of quality like at that time? 
I think it was still pretty good. NXT had started out as developmental territory, but then it became this sort of super indie, and it was signing yeah. you know, all the big names off the indies. Uh, and, and at that time, uh, the Undisputed Era was, you, you know, one of the major sort of factions in there. Um, obviously, they all apart from Roderick Strong are in AEW now. So I don't think it was necessarily bad. I think that it was just because AEW was something new. Again, it had more goodwill from the fan base, and you know th this is going to be the revolution. Uh, and you know it just sort of got a bit overlooked because of that. I don't think they would. It, it was putting out a very similar product at the time. Uh, the other thing is, I think when it was on the network, it was a safe place for them to do whatever they wanted to do. When it went yeah. to TV. All of yeah. a sudden, you've got different masters and different priorities. Yeah, so, um, there, was a, there was a very marked change when it went to TV. What? So, um, what? What was the nature of that change then? It going to two hours uh, for one. Yeah, I mean, this is just yeah. me personally. I, I prefer. I much preferred the one-hour NXT because mm. it got in. It put you had a couple of really, really good matches. The show, they just they did the story segments and, and they left you wanting more. Yeah. But it, and, and it was always done well. It was always with the the next take. You know, you, you felt like it was building to some, something mm. being the, the next takeover. Yeah. Having to fill that extra hour while yeah. they had the yeah. talent to do it, you know, the, yeah. the, they had the, the wrestlers physically there to do it. Mm -hmm. it. It just became, rather than something I could squeeze in and just say, right, I've got an hour, I can watch NXT. Yeah. yeah. It became so much more of a commitment. And then, like Rob says, couple that with, Having the outside influence of the networks and and mm -hmm. produce you know essentially producing it for a for a wider audience, um, it, it did move away from what made it popular amongst WWE fans in the first place, which in essence is a good thing because I said before about wanting re more wrestling to reach a you know wider audience etc cetera, etc. Cetera. But when there's only so many programs that can do that, and when this has become our what was it three fives. When you're tacking on hour seven with Raw SmackDown and the first hour of NXT, then another hour of NXT, yeah, it just gets oversaturated. A bit like now when you with AW when you've got <laughs> Dynamite, Dark, Dark Elevation, Rampage. That's exactly what I was thinking because I, I so uh, when Rampage when they made the Rampage announcement, my main thought was this better not dilute like the quality of my favorite like two-hour TV program ever. And I was like, "How how is it how is it going to be possible to do that?" And it turns out it's it isn't. You know what I mean? That's the that's the bottom line. Like it's it's like unessential is what it is. How do you scale up like something without like maintaining the quality of it? Like I think that's a really hard thing to do in any situation. You look at the nitros in WCW two thousand when Russo and Bischoff were in charge. <laughs> I, I was just about to say that because. There'd been some pretty... Um, Thunder had been, prior to that period, uh, well, certainly prior to Russo coming in the first time, uh, had just been sort of kicked to the curb and it was a secondary show and, and nobody really cared about it. And uh, they made it must-watch TV and put, you know, big stars on it and storylines on it. And with the best one in the world, sometimes... I, I do watch Rampage every week, but it feels that they're not... Putting yeah. you know big events, yeah, it's the B show. I mean, people yeah. call it the B show openly, and I think that's a good. That's like a really accurate. 
yeah. the representation of what it is. And I think the fact that um, it wasn't sold as that and uh, no. you know, it was sold as this like equally important thing. And like after episode two, which was like a seminal moment in like wrestling history, like it just became a B show, like really yeah. transparently. And like if you're, if it's like any with any TV, like if you're, you receive something as it's like given to you, like and yeah. like Rampage is a B show. I, I will miss it if I'm busy, and that's bottom line. I always remember there was a celebrity episode of Come Dine with Me for footballers, and John Fashionew said on there, "If you present yourself like a sack of potatoes, I assure you, people will treat you like a sack of potatoes." And it, that feels like what Rampage is doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At least with a sack of potatoes, you could make some chips. You can't make fuck all out of Rampage. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if you did. I don't know if you did cook chips on that episode of Come Dine with Me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, all right. Enjoyed that chat, lads. But shall we move on to Dynamite? Yeah, let's let's go. Yeah. yeah. Uh, about about half an hour in. <laughs> Hello, sorry. Oh no, I love it. I love it. I'm happy with that. I just I, I, I like to get to sleep before Sunday. <laughs> so, just from this opening, I remember watching it at the time and I thought the same watching it back. Everything just looked so cool and so different. There was there were the splashes of colour. They had the sense to have the footage from the previous shows. And then the, sta- the stage pyro, they had a slightly different sort of panning shot of the crowd, which you didn't really see in WWE at that point, to my memory. It somehow felt both old school and fresh to me. I don't know what you guys thought. Yeah, um, and it was it's really funny, like watching it back as well, because it, it brings back. I think the freshness and the excitement of it is still. Like when I watch it again, I mean, I've watched this episode maybe like five or six times. It's one of those ones I go back to when I just need a bit of a fillip, mm-hmm. and then. Um, I watch it back now and I hear the reaction of the crowd to to Cody especially. And I'm I'm transported to like a happy, optimistic place, you know. It's like you can't it's infectious, it's really infectious, like that atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Like Cody's ring entrance like is like so special and it's so refreshing to not hear it <laughs> hear him being booed or hear him get a mixed reaction. It, it it reminds me of his WrestleMania entrance, you know, like that's how he was received in his WrestleMania entrance, which I watched you know, and, and thought, like, good for him. I, st- I still can't believe he took Tan Cabot's spot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what a moment, though, for, for him. I think um, it's one of those weird things, like, when it, when it was all going down, it didn't make any sense to me. And then when I saw him in WrestleMania, I was like, this just makes sense. Like, yeah. it, it, it just makes sense. And I, I can't put it into any other words than that. But no, I loved, I loved the entrance. I loved how the presentation of Cody, I loved how, how slightly nervous Sammy looked. Do you know what I loved the most? Well, the crowd, I loved, like, you know, it's infectious. It's one of my favourite things about wrestling when the crowd gets really out. But the commentary, like, just hearing Jim Ross, like, unconditionally put people over was really refreshing. Like, he, he was putting Cody, the only other person in the AEW I've heard him put over as much as Cody as he did in that match, was Moxley. He just always puts Moxley over. He never has a bad word to say about him. And these days, sorry, JR, if you, if you ever listen to this, but he just spends so much time, like, burying people. And it was just, like, really refreshing to hear him trying really hard to get people and a product over. Um, and Excalibur mm-hmm. and, and Tony Schiavone supporting him in that. So, 
yeah, like, oh man, special, very, very special times for me watching this again. It, even before that, I loved the video package at the start of this match. I love that they sort of interspersed the sit-down interviews with footage of them training, running up and down the steps, very, very reminiscent of that scene in The Damned United when Brian Clough's got the uh, Leeds team running up and down the, uh, <laughs> the stadium and stuff. Uh, but I hate it, and this this is an AEW trope, where, oh, it's a hot start, we're starting the match right away. Uh, I, I need to be made to feel that it, it's a big event, because I, I've watched so many decades of wrestling there's very little that they can show me in a match that I've not seen before. I need to buy into the importance of the match. And this video package at the start really set the scene for why it's an important match, why I should care about it and why it's a big deal that it's happening. And mm. that that's what they need to do in, in more of in wrestling uh, and not just AWA. I think everyone needs to, uh, it's the sizzle, not just the sausage, isn't it? You know, yeah. uh, and, uh, before we'd even got to the match, it, uh, you know, uh, it's a big deal. I think it, even, I think it helped. It, it really helped with Sammy's presentation. I think because I think Sam, it's really interesting to see Sammy, like where he is now, you know, compared to where he is then. And like to me, in terms of how he's presented here, this really helped him. Like this presentation of him, the little bit of sit-down interview that he got. Whereas now. I kind of feel like he's got a bit backwards in terms of his presentation. You know, not just in terms of his importance. It's not the kickoff match of the, a new wrestling program, but just in general about how he communicates, like in Dynamite. That that's felt like quite far beyond what he's been doing recently. No, ask any, ask any Kingston how he communicates. <laughs> the, the one that really gets me at the moment, Daniel Garcia. When, when he turned up, it's like. Uh, they'd never, they didn't tell me who he was. He just turned up. It's Red Death, Daniel Garcia, and, and get on with him. And and people were just waxing lyrical about his in-ring work. But it's like, why should I care about him? And I feel that it's not till the last few weeks that, uh, and part of it's, you know, his podcast on talk is Jericho, and and part of it's what I'm seeing, uh, you know, develop with his being pulled between Jericho and Daniel Bryan, where I'm actually seeing a bit of his character and a bit of why I should care about him. And yeah. and I wanted that from day one. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And if they'd have done that from day one, I'd have been all on board because he is is technically a very competent wrestler. But yeah. but why do I care, why do I need to care about him? Yeah. But we had it They gave you the sausage but not the sizzle. Exactly, but we had it right <laughs> here with the Sammy Guevara, didn't we? Yeah, well, even, even before that, though, I said, you know, the opening video and everything felt old school, yet somehow fresh. But then you've got JR and Tony Schiavone on screen together for the first time in two decades more, 25 years maybe, which, again, what's old is new again. You know, they're there together. They've got Excalibur with them. Excalibur took a little bit of time to grow and build the rapport with with JR and Tony, I think I don't think that's unfair to say, um, but he really, really found his feet eventually. But they were just hyping the show brilliantly, and then they went into the you know running down the card. Then we got that promo video. It started the crowd started hot, and everything after going into the start of the match really did just keep you there. It kept you at that level. Really was very well done, and now I'm going to have to begrudgingly talk about how good a match was between two wrestlers I can't fucking stand. <laughs> that's, 
And admittedly, the Cody thing's a fairly recent one since he did his whole uh, his whole Homelander turn and all the rest of it. And Sammy Guevara's just been a bellend constantly. Not not to get too far into the Eddie Kingston stuff because I don't know the ins and outs of it, but as far as I can tell, Sammy Guevara chat, didn't adhere to Jamie Vardy's one rule. He, uh, he chatted some shit and didn't expect to get banged out. Um, and yet somehow Eddie's the bad guy. But anyway, this match, it was all right, wasn't it? Oh, it's a total banger, isn't it? It was a a really good match, but, and and this is one of the problems I have uh, with this whole show, they have things that are absolutely brilliant, and they have things that are absolutely awful, all together, in the same moment. And I'm not going to make a big deal of it through the whole show, I'm going to mention it twice, and this is the first time. Aubrey Edwards takes me completely out of this match. <laughs> um, Score one on your UTT bingo cards, guys. Rob rants about Aubrey Edwards or Bryce Rennie. But it's a long-running feud. This one. I actually put, I actually put it in my notes. I'm only going to record the first time she does it because I, I, I cannot keep up with all the times that she tries to steal focus. But Sammy Guevara drop kicks Cody, and, and Aubrey sells it. She, she misdows the move. And then after that, Aubrey has a knack of never being in the right place for the three count. So she has to do like a 360 run round them to get herself more camera time before the three count. She has to do a Phoenix splash into the three count. Yeah, yeah, and and it's just like, you're doing that on purpose. You you are absolutely doing that to wind me up. So I, I feel really bad because I was really enjoying this match. I thought they did really good work and I loved... I am one of the few people that likes Brandy Rhodes. Uh, it might be me and Cody Rhodes and Fair Other Dog in that category. But um, I, I really not, do... Not, not even the kid. No, 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 no. <laughs> but they're a mark. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, I really like the spot with Brandy, you know, where Sammy pulls Brandy in the way and she, she eats the suicide dive and, uh, you know, the, the whole crowd reaction that... She's really great in that role uh, for me. Uh, I know that isn't the view of the IWC, but a really enjoyable match that I got taken out of by someone that wanted to go into business for themselves, unfortunately. <laughs> I think um, it's, it's so ind- I mean, obviously it's funny that, you know, you find her so annoying, but also I think it's really interesting because I, I just don't, my eyes obviously just not drawn to her. Like the, like when I remember the first time you mentioned that on the, this podcast when I was listening, I was like, "What's he on about?" And then it's only like when you pointed it out that then I started noticing it. But like when I'm watching and she's doing her, because I think she's not the only one that does it. Like Bryce does it. Like you know, it's well, a we're, indie we're thing. Match. <laughs> Bro, Bro, Bryce trained it. <laughs> I, I think it's like an indie ref thing. You know, like there's a whole thing of like the refs being involved, isn't there? And then there's like it's never it's something that's not. Um, I just don't pick up on it when I'm watching matches, so I just find it really interesting that, that that's something that, you know, it, like, it's actively detrimental to your enjoyment of it. I never noticed it until Rob started pointing it out. Now, I, yeah. now it's all I can see. <laughs> and now you can see it. <laughs> I, I, to, I, I have to actively put it out of my mind. Um, I just think they should give us some ping-pong ball bats and then, like, a plane land mid-match. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I think, I think um, I, well, I, I love this match. It's one of, probably one of my favourite matches on Dynamite ever. And I don't think it's any coincidence that, that like, you know, Cody gave Sammy two of his best matches in AEW. Like, I think 
I'm sure Cody would have had like a big hand in laying this match out and the final match when he before he left as well. And it maybe like shows that like they, they do miss him like in that sense in terms of laying matches out. Like obviously like, you know, there's all people always criticise like, you know, overbook his overbooked matches and all that, but I, he's always somebody who drew me in as a performer. And I think that's him, you know, a big part of that comes from his ability to lay out a match. Fair enough. I, I can't do it. I can't praise him too much. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boring, did you boring. See his, did, you, did, you see, did you see his match against Seth Rollins, which I haven't seen, by the way? No, I, I, I haven't seen. I saw the WrestleMania match. I was heavily intoxicated live on Radio Techers talking some complete shit. Um, <laughs> and then I just didn't get around to watching Ellen Cell. No, I, I, I've really, I've really enjoyed Cody's WWE run. I think Cody, uh, you know, ever since he turned up in the um, Terry Funk Dustin Rhodes match at uh, WCW Uncensored 2000 in a chicken so I've uh, enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> now, the, the, like I say, it is, it is begrudging for me, but this was a very good match, and it was in the sort of time period where this was Cody coming off the Darby Allen match, where it taken it to a time limit draw. And then, if memory serves, I think not too long after this, he either goes the distance or very nearly goes the distance with, I think, Kip Sabian. It was Darby Allen uh, that he had a draw with, and I think it was the yeah. match just before this one, because there yeah. was some commentary, and they actually made a point of Justin Roberts was, you know, going um, ten minutes elapsed, ten minutes remaining. 15 minutes elapsed, 15, uh, five yeah. minutes remaining. Because, uh, and they were saying on commentary, um, you know, Cody's number one contender or whatever, but it, it's really going to, you know, damage him and it might get that taken away if he's not able to put people away in the 20 minutes. And I did like the peril of that. And yeah. very early AEW was very good at using the time limit as a storytelling device. Yeah, yeah. it was. Um, and like, sorry, like I say, I, I know the Derby one, that was a very, very good match. But again, I'm sure there was there was three of them. And Horatio, can you remember, was there a Kip Sabian match after this, or You're am right. I making that yeah. up completely? So I think it wasn't kept before this. I think it or was it just was it in the match? The... Yeah, it, it was definitely around this time. I think it was. Was it not one of those two the two pay-per-views that we mentioned earlier? Was it Fighter Fest or Fight for the Fallen? Or ah, so was, it, so was it Kip, Derby, Sammy? I think so. You're now testing my knowledge because I had basically double or nothing Moxley coming down. That was the first th- thing I ever saw AEW related. So I kind of missed all the stuff before that. I had to go and backfill it. But there was def- you're right though, there was a kit match with Cody around this time for sure. Just remembered I've got a, uh, I've got a, th- I've got a device in my pocket that can, uh, can actually find this out for me. <laughs> did anyone see that Kip Sabian returned this week cosplaying as James May from his Top Gear days? <laughs> no, no, I haven't seen it. I'm, uh, I'm glad. I'm glad Kip's back though. Kip's, I think, uh, he's definitely a talent, and uh, I'm not saying that just because he used to wrestle at my, one of my favourite promotions, North, and uh, I've, I've got a close affinity with him because I was once so drunk I couldn't move out of the way of one of his dives, and he landed on my foot. Well, I'm very much looking forward to his review of the new Volvo V90. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why, but I love the fact that they they always introduce him as being is it from Gorleston in East Anglia or something like that. It's like his proper hometown. They introduce him as being from. But it was awesome. I love it. I love stuff like that. Yeah, it is. It is. I mean, um, 
Oh, one spot I did like it. I did actually like in this match was very, very early on. Sammy did a flip to avoid something and very nearly flipped feet first into Cody's knacker bag. <laughs> <laughs> just a shame he missed ever so slightly. But yeah, it's just, I, t- I tell you one thing as well. One uh, Rob uh, Rob gets annoyed at, um, at Aubrey's referee and landing the plane and whatnot. One thing I am so glad is left in 2019 is every time there's a two count, people go two and then some dickheads go sweet. Keep that. Oh, is that shit. what you're saying? Yeah. Well, I yeah. Just, I, you know, I, I didn't ever know that's what they were saying. I kind of heard them say something, but I didn't know what it was. Yeah, I think it started maybe about 2016 or something, didn't it? And right. it, it was it was just the tail end of it at this this point. I've actually got that in my notes that I'm glad that they kept doing that at this point. I'd blocked it from my memory. And to be honest, I hated it so much. It's like I, know, I only know a few people who hate it, but you know, in British wrestling, where they go, the following match is scheduled for one fall, and everybody goes one fall. I've been at MDW shows where, you know, one, two, three, and I've stuck my hand up and gone sweet, and you've slapped it down. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that has happened. I forgot that as well. (laughs) But it was just, like Horatio said before, about the crowd was so into this. It was so good. But, they were you know, they were cheering the face. They were booing the heel. It it really was a lot of fun. And and credit to him, when Sammy goes to the top, he misses his moonsault, misses the standing moonsault, hits the running shooting star for two. And it's just some really impressive, yeah, like that's, physical that's, work. That's Sammy at his best. You know, he's he's an incredible like athlete and um, incredibly agile guy. Like when he when he's working with people that get that and then can sort of like work that into the match, you get really good matches. I think. Yeah. His Spanish fly is my favourite. I think like nobody does a Spanish fly quite like Sammy. Oh, you need to look up Paul Birchall from his. Uh, oh, really? From from early in his career, yeah. Paul Birchall used to do an amazing Spanish fly. Um, one thing I did note in, my, in this, uh, not too long after uh, Cody had dived onto uh, onto Brandy, she was at ringside, sort of grabbing the uh, grabbing the ropes, and then she just smacked Sammy into the disaster kick. And all I noticed was. Heel tactics, bleach blonde yeah. hair. Cody was frigging Hulk Hogan from the start. Well, <laughs> that weight belt as well. Yeah, the right. weight belt. <laughs> not, not getting chucked back. That's, we're definitely not in 2021 then. I, I haven't thought about this, though, because he, he, he whips that weight belt into the crowd and it's spinning around and it's leather. I mean, that could take someone's eye, quite legitimately, that could take someone's eye out. And it really could, yeah. It all seems to work out fine for him. That's right. I'm yeah. pretty sure Moxley got told to tone it down with his water bottle throwing. I'm sure somebody got hit right in the face with a water bottle at some point. He always throws it on the ground now. Not as bad as not as bad as Brock Lesnar nearly decapitating the front row with a car door that time. <laughs> Do you remember that, Rob? No, I'm I'm just uh, I'm trying to think that there was a WCW and I'm sure that someone got a milkshake thrown in the face and, and they sort of <laughs> turned into it. That was the best bit. They were like, it was profile, and then they just turned around and the milkshake hit them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. But yeah, this is, to be honest, this match, there's a lot about it where you could look and say it's essentially early AEW in a nutshell. The way that it is. I was actually, at one point, I was being a smarky bastard, and I counted the number of near falls um, yeah. to try and get a near falls to minutes ratio, and it was nowhere near as bad as I thought. It was 10 near falls in, in 12 minutes. 
Um, which and you know a lot of that came towards the end. You know, came towards the end of the matches, the vying for you know vying for the win. Um, yeah, really enjoyable. It it was twelve. It was only t- quote unquote only twelve minutes, but it was twelve minutes done right. Yeah, and it wasn't near falls from the finishers. In all fairness, no. to, and the fact that it was one with a roll up as well, so both of them saved the finishers. I hate. That you know the the prostitution of finishes for pops. To be fair mm. to this match, that didn't happen here. Well, yeah, Cody, Cody won it off uh, getting his knees up for the shooting star press. Yeah, so I mean, he'd, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah he'd, he'd taken a Spanish fly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was going to say, I was just going to like praise Cody again because that's a Cody thing. Like he does, he does come up with some really creative finishes for his matches. Like I, I'm thinking them. Um, was there like a TNT title match against Sean Spears where he just put him in a figure four and just made him tap out off a of figure four? Oh no, he pinned him off a of figure four. That's what happened. I don't remember it. I don't remember it involved Sean Spears. <laughs> pinned off a of figure four? That's like Vince Russo and Reed Flair. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you beat a 12-year-old. <laughs> Still can't believe they did that. Um, <laughs> yeah, and, and obviously from this... Jericho comes out, setting up the uh, the full gear. Obviously, looking towards full gear on November the 9th. and there's an extended, extended sort of view of Jericho beating the piss out of uh, Cody. And I was looking at that, looking at this thinking, what the hell is going on? And then I remembered I was watching on fight, so there was no ad breaks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've made a note of all the pictures and pictures here, and uh, I watched the first episode of Dynamite Live when it was on fight, and. It was a real killer for me, the picture-in-picture stuff, because mm. a lot of the picture-in-pictures, not very much happens. And we've spoken before yeah. about you know, how Bischoff brought in the Nitro Bills and Wildcat Willie to entertain the crowd. Uh, and at least in this segment, there was some stuff that was happening, in, in all fairness to it. Yeah. Well, you know, Jericho was you know grabbing his belt and smacking Cody with it. He grabbed the camera off the cameraman and starts taking photos and selfies and... You know, he's, he's beating the piss out of him all around the outside. I did see that uh, Aubrey even managed to get in the way when there were no cameras on her. Um, yeah, she was trying to stop Brandy um, getting involved, wasn't she? Did Did you think the crowd was really fickle in this segment? Because Jericho yeah. was <laughs> at the camera and he's taking pictures of Cody and, the you know, they're, yeah, they're, they're cheering him. Yeah. There were, yeah. There were thank you Jericho chants. Yeah. <laughs> Well, do you know what was weird? Well, sorry, I'm jumping ahead, but when it was weird not to hear Judas cheered later on, mm. um, that was weird. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna have a counterpoint to the picture-in-picture picture thing, Rob, because one of my favourite, my very favourite things from early AEW was watching picture-in-picture picture and just seeing all the random shit that happened <laughs> in the few minutes in between, like while, while everyone else in America was watching adverts. And you'd be listening to it going like, and you'd hear things like Jim Ross would be like scolding Excalibur. And yeah. And you'd get this fucking term over and things like that. I loved that. It's like one of my favourite things. Did that really like, used to happen? Yeah, yeah, that, that definitely oh, happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, think, I don't think they realised that the international people could hear because there was this one point where it was several episodes in and suddenly in picture in picture they started talking to the international audience. They're like, and we were glad to have the international audience here in picture in picture. And I was like, oh, shit, you've worked out that like, we can hear everything you're saying. Like, and you didn't realise that before, did you? 
That's a real And then they shame. stopped. They sort of stopped at that point. But there was there was some absolute gold like contained in those like three minute segments where you just hear all this like the the real stuff going in the back. I I personally marked out for that. I loved it. To be fair, that that was Schadenfreude rather than good television, though, wasn't it? Oh no, no. I mean, I'm not saying it was by design. <laughs> but to me, so like, a lot of your criticisms, Rob, I think they're totally legitimate, and I know they're coming from a place of like genuine. You just want it to be better for you. Um, yeah. For me, the flaws and the kind of amateur bits of the early EW are part of its like, like. Uh, it's hard for me to put it into words. It's it's something very special. It's like seeing, like, <laughs> I'm gonna compare it to having a child, right? But like when you have a child and you just you you just see this like like this. It's very very hard to criticize something that you truly love, and I, I really yeah. mean that. So for for me, all that kind of weird learning and all the weird Discord stuff and the, the amateur stuff that happened, for me, that's all part of like my love of AEW. And actually, I missed that. You know, I missed that. It's because it's now a lot, well, it's polished in some ways and, and less polished in others these days, the years later. But I miss I miss the kind of raw, like indie amateur hour feel of it. Like that. It, 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 it takes a Scotsman to say, I miss it when it was a bit shitter. <laughs> Listen, Scots appreciate mediocrity. <laughs> like you, you know, get get on get let's get on the same page. Well, to, to be fair, the the only thing that I get this passionately frustrated about uh, that I do with AEW is Huddersfield Town. You know, I, I come across as very negative about um, AEW, and uh, I probably come across very negative about Huddersfield Town, but I think with good reason because <laughs> I just it just feels it always feels like we're on the cusp of <laughs> being better than we are. Yeah, as, as, as a long time Impact fan, I can relate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing I did like though about about that because WWE was was so produced. That it was nice to see something where they they hadn't gone to the lengths of of making sure that all the I's were dotted and all the T's were crossed. Yeah, yeah, that's fair enough. But back to the this this assault, even with the picture in picture, went on for fucking ages. Yeah, but at least with the adverts, it it had been you know broken up, and then you come back, and then Jericho's setting up two very comfy chairs to uh, to powerbomb Cody through. Um, you could see you could see about three inches of padding. I know it won't make it any better, but it just looked very odd. And they were making a big deal about the chairs. Oh my god, those chairs! Those chairs like they look pretty comfy. <laughs> you know, I'd have happily sat on them. It'd have been comfier than some arena seats I've sat on. But yeah, it, it was even this though. It was a good setup, and we get. I think was this the first recorded incident of Jericho referring to himself as Le Champion? Oh, it might be. Yeah, he had his little. He had his little bit of the bubbly T-shirt on, which yeah. I got the timeline wrong in that because I thought that had happened after this. Because I thought he'd had like a, there was like a champagne celebration when he won the title with the inner circle, or something. And he's talking about a little bit of the bubbly. Yeah, it was when he first won the title, so he was already champion at this point. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. that was it all out. That was before the formation of the inner circle. Obviously, inner circle formed at the end of this episode. <laughs> Yeah. At some point there was like a there was like a celebration of something. Was it a championship? Who knows? It's Jericho. But he was talking about a little bit of the bubbly there, and that's when he started selling the champagne. 
but he had a t-shirt on in this segment, didn't he? I think it was. This I think it's. A, I think yeah. I think it's a bit of a. Um, so it's sort of a. a, a I don't want to say a lesson, but it's a smaller scale version of the Austin 316 thing, where the the sort of Mandela effect of it is that Austin said that in the promo at King of the Ring, and then the next week there was a million Austin 316 t-shirts everywhere, when in fact it took months yeah. for that to happen. I think in this, Jericho did the little bit of the bubbly thing. The memes took over for ages, and they were around for weeks on weeks on weeks. And then he, he just kept finding a way to just eke it out a little bit longer, just eke it out a little bit longer. I've got a T-shirt. I'm actually selling branded champagne, you know, just eking it out a little bit further. And I I actually really liked the little bit of the bubbly bins. I thought a lot of them were so funny. Yeah. I mean, um, he's the absolute king of the catchphrase, though. Yeah. Um, I, I was really gutted this week on AEW when um, he had this face-off with Daniel Bryan. And, you know, Daniel Bryan saying, what would your trainer, Stu Hart, think of you? What would your hero in Hart think of you? You know, uh, who would who would he think was a better wrestler, you or me? And Jericho's saying that he remembers every single move Stu Hart, Stu Hart told him. And it was the perfect opportunity to say he remembered ah, all the thousand and four holes. I think you've got to be careful on copyright, though, haven't you? There'll, there'll be something in there that yeah. we own X, Y, and Z, and the last thing they want to risk is any form of litigation. Totally. Which is that a reminds shame. Me, that reminds me of Brian's debut, where he he didn't do the he didn't do the yes, you know. And then later on, they were like, "Why did you not do the yes? Everyone else is doing it." The crowd, and he was like, "Well, I wanted to respect the WWE's like IP." I think that's actually what he said. Mm-hmm. There was an episode of Total Divas where Daniel Bryan and um, Brie Bella go to a mortgage advisor and they're looking to get a mortgage. And obviously, the you know, they're both on like two year contracts or whatever, so it's not like long term uh, earnings. And you know, the, so the mortgage advisor saying, Well, sort of what long term income do you have? And Daniel Bryan says, I created a movement. And <laughs> mortgage advisor's like, well, What's the movement? It's called the Yes Movement. Well, what does that involve? Well, people chant yes. And, and she's like, well, how much money do you see yourself making from that? And, and he's like, no, no, people just chant it. <laughs> so that's zero. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Is, uh, is Brian looking anything like getting anywhere near a title shot at any point? Or? Uh, well, he's he's having Jericho, so yeah. no. It's still a prominent feud, though. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I've I've personally really enjoyed his run. I think he's been really good. But yeah, it, it did it did make me laugh that I was What's thinking um... about Jericho there when you were talking about Jericho, and I do feel like he was an important guy for AEW. I mean, he still is, but I think you could argue in terms of his value to AEW then, in terms of him legitimizing a title, and also mm-hmm. just like knowing how to do TV, like you know, kind of fundamental stuff. Like you did, really, I think he carried AEW like quite a lot, like in those early days, in terms of knowing how to do TV, because like so many people around him didn't didn't at all, and it was quite obvious. And um, so, big respect to him for that. Yeah, I remember him saying on Talk is Jericho that a lot of people, because they never worked TV, they weren't working the hard cam. You yeah. know, and you just got covers, and it was just showing people's asses and stuff, and you know, it, it's like that Same as well. 
Yeah, that was, it was kind of a notorious dynamite, early dynamite, an early AEW pay-per-view thing. It was just like, at times, we're just like, you know, <laughs> some people weren't, weren't respecting time, really, weren't they? Speaking of people who might not have worked TV before, the next match is M- MJF versus Brandon Cutler. With Bryce Remsburg as the referee. Oh, you must have been so happy, Rob. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go on, go on, get it out of your system. No, because I actually liked the MJF promo at the start of this this whole thing. Um, I did consider giving it to Steve or to Booker it better, but uh, I thought it would be a bit unfair because it goes on for quite a long time and, uh, you know, I'm st- Steve Otto does 50 takes as it is, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've. Uh, I think we've looked at this. We looked at this promo with uh, Lauren, didn't we? Yes, we did. Yes. Yeah. Um, oh, when you did the MGF stuff, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's MGF. You know what you're going to get. It, it, he's always a good promo. Um, although I am realizing more and more doing Tankatory that almost everything MGF says was said by Vince Russo in uh, in 2000 WCW. But yeah, he's he's just talking his typical shit, isn't he? Um, you know, calling the crowd idiots. He said, I did like, who said you idiots can speak when there's a microphone in my hand? Insinuating that one, the microphone gives him precedent, but also he's just going to be louder. And somebody in the crowd, it's, um, I know we'll get to the signs later, but somebody in the crowd actually had a sign that said MJF is better than me. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, I've written that down myself. But, uh... Yeah, um, and he's, you know, he's calling it a chance to see a star born. He's saying Brandon Cutler's a guy who got lost on the way to his seat. Um, completely was a yada yada yada. I've got to be honest though, uh, Brandon Cutler got way too much fanfare over his entrance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, was he was he quite well known like in the Indies? That's one thing no. I have no idea. No, he, well, he was he was a friend of the Young Bucks, and he'd been like the person that had filmed the being the elite segments for them. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, they made a whole thing about how much of a loser he was, basically. I think he went, did he go 0-50 or something? Yeah, it, yeah that's right. There was a whole storyline around it, right? Yeah. Which means he's, a, he's a, quarter of good, a quarter as good as Kurt Hawkins. He's no Barry Howowitz, is he? Yeah, but who is? The legend Barry Horowitz. Um, I'm going <laughs> to... Fucking tumbleweed there, lads. <laughs> I'm defend, well, this might even be this might be even worse because I'm going to defend him for simply being the first D and D gimmick in like professional wrestling. So like that, like that, like there's definitely a Venn diagram in my head that works really well with. But I, I understand that that might be like you know less than one percent of the population or whatever. There used to be a podcast. Um, it's it's something it's called Count Out Pod on the Count Out Network, and they, for years, did basically a role play. The guy called Ryan was booking uh, Raw and uh, Mikey was booking SmackDown, uh, and they had some incredible storylines and was incredibly invested in it, and then they stopped doing it, and I'm really upset with a pair of them. What was it? <laughs> what was it called, sorry? It was, uh, it's on the Count Out Network, if, if you look that up on um the original podcast they started out with, uh, it was brilliant. It went for years. They had intricate... Oh, they had Detective Truth. Our Truth was uh, a detective who was, like, trying to, like, solve <laughs> crimes and stuff. It, it was absolutely brilliant. It was better than the Raw and SmackDown at the time. They stopped it. So, um, yeah. Minus one point from me, lads. 
Um, well, you say about the D and D gimmick. I know quite a few. I know quite a few D and D players uh, who are also wrestling fans. So I don't think you're as on your own as uh, as you say, uh, Horatio. But I will say, Excalibur proved in the at the start of this match that there is no way to make the words "avid tabletop gamer" sound cool. <laughs> as much as I appreciate, you know, people enjoy what they enjoy. I'm not averse to tabletop games, just not my thing. But. It, it didn't sound cool said out loud. He's, he's he's such a big geek, Excalibur. I do I do feel like he walks the he does walk a fine line sometimes with the like the other day he was talking about um Takeshita's like MSC thesis and the suplex or something like that. And he's he's said it a few times now on live TV and I'm like, Oh mate, just just don't I, I love you, but this is like for the this is dinner table talk, mate. It's not it's not for mainstream TV. Yeah. Hello. Oh man. <laughs> I, I would love an AEW episode of Come Dine with me though. I mean, I've already oh. said I, I love that John Fashion. He won't come dine with me. So that's <laughs> caliber on there. Need a mini series. And do far, do far yeah. yeah. <laughs> just be shelling his like BBQ sauce ribs or whatever all the time. Did do you, four, did you hear do four episodes and, uh, and have the winners all take part in the final. <laughs> did you hear JR fit in his... Oh, no, it wasn't his brother. Oh, oh, God, he sorry, Rachel. Twitter account or something like that in the opening match, did he? That's... Yes, he, he did, because yeah. he was saying that they were trending number one and two on Twitter, and he was like, at JRBBQ. <laughs> it's come dynamite with me. Oh. Yes. <laughs> This is why it should have been on Channel 4 rather than ITV4. <laughs> <laughs> that's the most applause I've ever got for anything, Horatio. Thank you. That's, that's, oh, my God. You can, see why, you can see why I was bursting to get that out. Oh, don't blame you. That's an old-timer, that one. <laughs> Trade, trademark pending. At, at Tony Khan, for sure, after this. Be sure to get that in, into the ether. He uh, slagged Fulham off too much. That's the problem. <laughs> and it's somebody that I'm very closely associated with I know definitely has slagged Fulham off too much yeah but I, I don't care about Tony Khan you're trying to do a deal with him I just want some of his money yeah that's a whole but anyway back to the match it was it was alright it was a fairly short match did what it was meant to do got MGF over uh, Cutler got got a bit of a shit but ultimately it was there to make MGF look strong and and he's the up-and-comer, which he absolutely did. And the commentary did really well. I think it was Tony Schiavone at one point says, I want to see Cutler shut this little prick's mouth. Which, brilliant. Love that. <laughs> the problem would have been that if Cutler had shut his mouth, he'd have also shut Remsburg's mouth. Because Jeff <laughs> grabs Cutler's arm, and he's on the apron, then he drops off the apron, and um, Cutler's selling the arm injury. And you see in the background, um, Remsburg's rubbing his arm. <laughs> fuck's sake <laughs> oh Rob that must be hard to be in what she do we the thing is though it does really annoy me because let, let's say argument's sake I'm looking forward to Brian Danielson versus Chris Jericho at All Out yeah, uh, yeah he's come really good but I know that Jericho loves Aubrey yes yeah, so, so part of me is like, oh, the, it, it's actually been a, a decent storyline between the two. I love the uh, conflict they've got with Daniel Garcia in the middle of the two. The, you know, the, the two 
I've loved Jericho since his WCW days and Daniel Bryan's great. It's going to be really good. And here comes Aubrey. And here comes Aubrey. <laughs> shit on the whole lot of it. You know, it's your birthday. And then she slaps the cake out of your hand. <laughs> <laughs> Is it weird that my favourite move in this match was the, the hammerlock slam? Because it's just yeah, such a simple thing. MGF's been working the arm. Working the shoulder, and I just I always think a hammerlock slam looks so uncomfortable to take. It, yeah. It's one of those moves that it, it, every, every move hurts, obviously, but this one looks like it really fucking hurts. M- MGF's like kind of infamous promo about you know, fuck you, Tony, you fucking Mark. Like the stuff that he said about you know, I make you feel in a daughter to do a backflip. Kind of true, isn't it? Like you know, it's very true. Yeah, yeah, and you know the comparisons between MGF and the Miz. It was it was used as an insult by somebody in a promo. I can't remember who. But, yeah, you're just a low grade Miz or something, aren't you? But every wrestler should aspire to have the career that Miz has had. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, to this I, point, I really like the Miz. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm a massive Miz fan, and I've, I've been for years. Yeah, yeah, big respect to him. Yeah. Sure. But you know the Miz when he came in, always giving it the gob, always had an answer, always had you know just made you hate him. And people say, oh well, name a five star Miz, Miz match. Name me a bad one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I haven't seen much of him in the ring. I've, I've heard promos though because they always pop up in my mm-hmm. searches for WWE stuff. And he's a master on the mic. He's an absolute master on it. He's such a natural. He's a great communicator. I think. Um, but, but I mean, I, I'm not sure how, because I didn't see MGF before AEW, but I, I certainly feel like he's, his in-ring work's definitely like elevated like in the time that he's been at AEW, probably because of some of the people he's working with. But It has. Um, um, I saw quite a bit of MGF just through indie promotions, and I, I don't think I've ever seen him live, but I've seen him, I've seen bits of him working UK indies and, and things like that. The only thing is, his his character has been very much the same. Mm-hmm. He's he's shown that he's excellent in this one thing. And don't get me wrong, the character is gold. If he can keep finding, you know, if if he, you know if he can keep the insults up and whatever, then brilliant. But even in his running AEW so far, I found myself thinking that he's getting that at points that he's been getting stale. You know, up to the point I, I sort of fell off and and haven't been keeping up with it. Um, when it, particularly when he was doing just coming out and doing the generic, this town sucks because everybody's ugly. You know when he fell into that trap for a little while, but he's never, to my knowledge, in any promotion, been tested doing anything else. And I suppose there's an argument to be made that if the, if if it's, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Just have him keep doing what he's doing. Yeah. But I'd be very interested to see how he'd go about long-term tr- attempting to be more of a babyface or anything like that, just to see if he could do it. We saw glimpses of it in the, the build-up to the punk match. Yeah. yeah. But it's whether he could sustain it. That's a great point. And I guess, like, people always talk about him as being a bit of a throwback, like, mm. in that way, like a territories guy. And obviously, like, a lot of those guys were known for like having this one character and sort of sticking to it you know and being known for being that one thing so i think it's a really interesting question like is it possible to do that 
like in this day and age, yeah, well, the, you know, everyone's seeing everything. You bring up the territories. That was when they had different markets to go to that were very much yeah. isolated from each other. That's right. So you could take That's an act. Cool. Yeah, you could take an act to somewhere for six months to a year. Yes. Then you move on. Mm-hmm. You go to two, three, four, five, six more territories. And then you come back. And what's all these new again, especially in wrestling? You know, it's it's recycled. Um, yeah. But... It's interesting to see what happens with with MJF going forward. Whether he comes back to AEW TV, um, oh, I, I've, got, I've got a sneaking feeling he's I've got a sneaking feeling he's going to be in the All Out main event. Yeah, I think he, I don't know about All Out main event, but I think he's going to be on the pay per view. I mean, I just think he's he's a stick on for WWE. He's a perfect fit there. He's a Cody guy as well, like, and I think he, I think he'd be really successful there as well. I'm not sure I see it in WWE. It'd be yeah. very good. It'd be it'd be the, it'd be a very good test. See if it's seen if he could adapt, yeah. because he gets more of a license to oh and to do the. To, you're, that's a really good point. He'd have to rein himself in. That there's a lot of stuff that he wouldn't be allowed to do. That that's so true. I think the ceiling's pretty high. Personally, I mean it's obviously a personal opinion, but mm-hmm. I think he'd do pretty well there. He's got the brain for it. I think he could work yeah. the system quite well. I think. So I guess tabletop. I'll put it this way: I think he'd have. I think I'd pr- much, much, much prefer seeing him go straight to Raw or SmackDown than than NXT. Oh God, no! That no, that would be demeaning. I think to be fair, on NXT 2.0, they aren't signing indie talents anymore, and I think yeah. Triple H will be more open to the idea of anyone who was established elsewhere coming straight in and the people in NXT it being a proper developmental territory you know let, let's get you know American footballers let's get people with an athletic background let's get people with uh, an improv background that kind of thing and, and we'll teach them the rest whereas I think people who have got a name for themselves are more likely to be popping up straight to the main brand with Triple H in charge mm. yeah. time will tell but um yeah, what did you, I think I forgot to ask? What did you guys think to the match to MJF uh, Cutler? It's quite like a forgettable match. I guess it existed to yeah, existed to like show MJF's character off to people who maybe didn't know who he was. Mm-hmm. It feels like a tiny little step when you compare like like the my favourite feud of the year so far has been Punk MJF. So like it feels like a tiny little like and hill compared to like you know these giant strides that he's making and, and that feud is you know in my opinion but yeah i mean for what it was fine i really like mjf really do love his promos uh and i think you know he's very competent in the ring so he's great the second match in a row is taken away from him by the referee remsburg was all over the place in this match and all i could see and thankfully aubrey and remsburg don't get another match on this card <laughs> So that means Rob can enjoy himself. Yeah. <laughs> Finally, there was the, the sort of there was the post match. Um, there was a bit of a it wasn't a, a beat down as such. It was just MJF um, refusing to take it off the hold, and then we just got an extended shot of the uh, shot of the crowd as it went to an ad break. Yeah. So I skipped through that. I don't know if I missed anything. I doubt it, but 
No, Justin, Justin Roberts um, reminding people after Dynamite goes off the air, there'll be some dark matches, which is doubly annoying because A, I have to sit through it, and B, there's some good stuff that you're not going to show me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Next up was something that I thought was a, a very good idea in principle, but not maybe not the best executed. Um, but it laid a good foundation in it. was Chris Van Vliet interviewing Kevin Smith and Jason Mewes. It, it's um, actually um, Bischoff bringing in all the dirt sheet guys, isn't it? You know, bringing in the Mark <laughs> and the Scott. Yeah. yeah. It is, um, and, and to be honest, I remember I remember seeing this at the time, and I had no idea who Chris Van Vliet was. Um, now I do know he's obviously he's got you know he's, he gets everybody on his show. He's <laughs> he's part of the establishment pretty much. Um, yeah. But they're talking about Jane Sand and Bob, and I was thinking, why are they talking about that? Because I've never, I don't think I've ever watched a Kevin Smith movie. Yeah. Um, it's Mall Rats, wasn't it? That's the yeah. Um, I think I think it's too young. It's, Clark, a, yeah. ten, it's a ten-year generation gap thing. So, like when I was when I was a teenager, that was like a really cool thing. But I think to me, that's like what this like summed up was like. Yeah, these guys were like really famous like twenty-five years ago. I tell a lie. Like, I've seen Dogma. Oh yeah, Dogma. Yeah. Oh, Dogma's yeah. good. Yeah, well, yeah, like Dogma is God. Oh, Lannis Morissette. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's what I remember about it as well. Yeah, yeah. But well, that yeah. was 20 years before this. <laughs> exactly, yeah. I thought, I also thought this was a bit weird. So I didn't know who Chris Van Vliet was at the time either. Just like started listening to his podcast like a few months after that. And yeah, like, I feel like AEW has been really hit and miss with like celebrities in AEW. Like, you know, there's been a lot like of attempts to do it. And who was uh Sabrina the Teenage Witch, who is that? And Melissa Joan Hart. Melissa Joan yeah. Hart is like a big AEW fan. And they really? had they had her on, they flashed her up on the screen for like three seconds in a show like a few weeks ago. I was like, oh my god, that's awesome. <laughs> but is that because I'm 42? Yeah, yeah. And it's, it was probably <laughs> oh, yeah. the same, you know, I'd, I'd... the same with this. You know what I mean? Like, like this, yeah. this is cool for like a really tiny portion of the audience and yeah, I, I don't think, like, who are these old guys like, I don't think just, just talking about that uh, Alanis Morissette mention I, I was in a pub in Clitheroe the other day and an Alanis Morissette song came on uh, and th- there was a group of people in, uh, there was me and Beth and, and then everyone else was kind of in the 20s there and they were like what the hell is this what is it they <laughs> came on the thing you know what song is it it's Alanis Morissette it's Jagged Little Pill you know it's like how do you know that and I'm like because I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, fucking hell! Um, but this did actually have a time though, because uh, the works with Jericho on a movie. Um, uh, I can't remember. I can't remember which one it was, but they're saying in the interview, Jericho has been part of a, a film they've been doing. The new okay. Jane Silent Bob reboot's coming up, so they're plugging that. And then for some reason, Hybrid Two interrupt. They insult <laughs> one of the movies, and Muse gets. It's not really a burn, it's more just when, you know, when you're running the hot tap and it's just like, a bit on the hot side, you know, just turn it down a wee bit. It was, it was that at best. A very mild, a very mild scald. And then Private Party come through to give Smith and Muse a couple of drinks. And it was, it was very much baby wrestling promotions first attempt at cross-promoting. Yeah. And it yeah. felt like, but it felt like, a, a, it felt like a good start, if, if you know what I mean. Yep. Yes, Kevin, you know, Kevin Smith and, and whatnot, and were, it was popular 20 years ago. But there's the reboot, and so that at least the reboot coming out was timely. Mm-hmm. And then it just never quite happened. 
Yeah. Oh, they've, they've, had, they've had shows tied in with names of things, like they've had the House of the Dragon show recently. Yeah, yeah. They had Kong versus Godzilla when that came out during, um, you know, during, I think, was it 2020 or 2021? We were still, we were still in and out of lockdowns at the time. Yeah. And they had what was billed as um, a tie-in match. And they threw it away on, I think it was Jurassic Express, who did have a fair amount of momentum at the time, as I recall, but they threw it away against uh, them versus Bear Country. Yeah, that's right. They're not even gorilla-themed. Yeah. (laughs) Bears are kind of like gorillas. What are you saying, Dan? (laughs) (laughs) They're they're big and hairy. What more do you want? It's it's hard to think about like celebrities in the AEW without thinking about like Mike Tyson in AEW. Remember that? And oh God, um, yeah. when he fell asleep, he just died. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and that and that and that to me is like that's the the like the risk, isn't it? Like when you do something like that, it's like you can end up looking a bit stupid. And because I, I remember when that happened and they caught the sight of Mike having a wee kip. And it took me like t- like completely out, you know, a bit like what you said with Aubrey earlier. I was like, this this should be like a big deal, and now I I've been completely taken out of it by by that. So it's a hard. I think it's a hard thing to do right, but I think they've had more misses than hits with celebrities. Shaq was good. I enjoyed Shaq and the the doubles with Jade. Yeah, Shaq getting um, involved was was decent, but again, he was he's popular as a pundit now. It'd be, the equi- right. it'd be the equivalent of Jamie Carragher or Gary Neville turning up to do, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to I, do a few bits. I would I love, love Gary analogy. Neville in any wrestling promotion. <laughs> I mean, that man is a promo right there. I love a fucking yeah. Gary Neville promo. <laughs> I love a Jamie Carragher promo. That one he caught on Tony Khan. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I tell you, the match we all want to see, those Graham Sooners versus Roy Keane. Oh, no, I want to see Jamie Carragher versus Tony Khan after he called him a clown. That was fucking brilliant. <laughs> was that, was that, did he sack Scott Parker or something like that? No, the, um, Tony Khan had tweeted out that they'd made a sign in. And, oh, I remember that. And uh, it was like Fulham's fifth choice defender. And then they'd lost like 5 0 or something. And um, Jeremy Carragher was like, he just needs to sh- sit down, shut up, and take his medicine. The guy's an absolute clown. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I guess, I don't know if we'll segue into it later, but I think TK definitely needs to rein in his Twitter game a wee bit. Um, and, and his attitude backstage, by all accounts. Well, I mean, I guess it depends what your criteria for success is. Like, I'd argue, like, a misogynist who buys and sells people is a lot worse than you know oh, somebody... Vince McMahon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist that. I couldn't resist that. That's all that's, that was that like, was just a joke, like a, please don't say there's, there's like a wide <laughs> spectrum of like like what criteria are you applying to like like this organization? I think what's quite interesting at the moment is like I think his sort of quite light touch approach worked when they were small. And I think now it's big, it's not working anymore. And that to me is like a really interesting thing from an organisational point of view, because I've seen that. I've seen little companies grow and get bigger and then fail to scale because actually they fail to adapt to the fact that they're getting big. Yeah. Um, and I feel like a similar process happening with an AEW at the moment. You could sort of feel it when Adam Cole and Brian came. You could feel that change happening. And now it's like really manifesting big time, I think. 
it's when you go on like you know Fulham or Jacksonville Jaguars website and the, the I counted it at one point he had 16 jobs yeah, yeah. you can do one job very well mm-hmm. or 16 jobs pretty poorly and totally. I think he needs to be able to delegate yeah yeah yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. although he's not alone in the kind of mad eccentric billionaire community at that you know that's a quite a mad that's quite a common eccentric billionaire trait um, but he's, he's, he's the third in wrestling alone Mm-hmm. Isn't he? You know, Vince, Ted Turner, Tony Khan. Yeah. But, but Ted Turner wasn't <laughs> sat backstage at Nitro with a, a clock in his hand timing the matches and doing the booking. True. You know, he, he, he put people in place to do those jobs. It, you know, Ted Turner was a passionate wrestling fan, but he knew that he had to, you know, run CNN and TBS and everything else that he had going on. The Atlanta Falcons, you know, the, the whole shebang. Uh, yeah. And he put people in place to, to run his empire for him, and he, he made some. You know, I mean, putting Bill Watts in charge of WCW was an absolute rig. You know, so it doesn't always work out. But yeah, at least he knew that he couldn't do it all himself. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a, like partly an ego thing because you can tell he gets a lot of energy from being the guy that gets to break the news and things like that. So I think that's part of like what he gets from it. Is then kind of like spilling over into like then he has to like it has all this responsibility and he's kind of like maybe a bit out of his depth with it. And at least once Tony Khan, while Tony Khan's on TV, the eighties cocaine promo will never die. <laughs> <laughs> Allegedly. Yeah. Allegedly. Yeah. It's a hard thing to it's a hard thing to run a big business, but um That's why yeah, I settled I that's why I settled with taking shots at people who do run big business. Yeah, but I mean, but also you're you're quite right. Like it's it takes a bit of takes a bit of maturity to recognise when you're not like capable of doing like what you're doing, and then to like you know trust trust people enough to bring in help as well. That's a big deal because that involves trusting other people. Mm. Um. So yeah, I do wonder whether that's part of his problem as well. But could well be. But um, in terms of the going back to Chris Van Vliet and, and Kevin Smith, <laughs> I love these tangents. I really do. I don't think we've, I don't think we've tangented like this since we had uh, Wing Commander Nash on last. <laughs> <laughs> that's exalted company indeed. Oh, that's a point. I need to message him my address because I want to sign eight by ten for correctly guessing where he wants to be. Um, anyway, <laughs> swimming to Calais if uh, my guess is right. <laughs> But it, this whole thing, you know, with private partying and hybrid two, uh, was leading towards the uh, the tag team tournament brackets, and we get sort of just you know talking through the brackets, who's in it. We get um, we get SCU doing a promo, which was Scorpio's guys take on uh, on. It was very much Barack Obama style, wasn't it? The uh, my fellow Americans, thank you for being here today for this uh, special announcement. We here at SoCal Uncensored have done extensive research in the DC area. And uh, through that research, we have found that uh, uh, this is the worst town I've ever been in. 
You know, it's no secret that the service we provide is to bring a little SoCal love to those not fortunate enough to reside in the Golden State. Ain't that right, CD? You got that right. You see, we're three bad brothers from across the way. And when you see us come strutting, the three letters you say are S-C-U. S-C-U! Don't hate the player. Hate the game. Let me tell you something, Cole. You better booker it better. And that noise right there means it's time for Steve-O to booker it better. Oh, dear Lord. <laughs> well, let me tell you something, Cole. I'm here in Washington, D.C. And let me tell you something. I- I- I'm absolutely disappointed that for an area which votes for a presidency, the presidents come to live here at Washington, D.C. I can't believe they never got me, Booker T, as King Booker. Remember that time when I was King Booker? Like I've done this joke before. Not even I remember when I was King Booker. But let me tell you something, Cole. I hate Washington, D.C. The fact that they never put me on the hierarchy of the greats like Lincoln, Barack Obama, Donald Trump. And because me, Steve-O, that's doing this impression, knows nothing about presidents. They're the only three presidents that I can even think of. Oh, what was that other guy? Um, I've completely forgotten his name, even though he was part of the September 11th um, atrocities. It's complete George Bush. That's his name, George Bush. And I'm not even going to finish this video because I'm in the root. I'm in the mode now of Booker T. And what I can say is this. With Washington, D.C. not allowing me to be on the Mount Rushmore, could you imagine that, me, Booker T, part of Mount Rushmore? Be there. Black and white, Booker T, King Booker. I don't know what else to say anymore. So let me tell you something, Cole. Don't ever bother coming to Washington, D.C. Now, can you dig that, sucker? Did Steve-O just accuse George Bush of being part of 9-11? I believe he did, yes. <laughs> Steve-O <laughs> did bring back the monarchy to America, so <laughs> King Booker, the first. Well, that, that's great. You can take the monarchy out of the UK and give it to America. That'll be fine. Just leave the tangerine twat over there, and we've got our own shit givens to deal with. But enough politics of a podcast. We've uh, we've not gone we've not gone down that road since the, uh, the that nineties wrestling podcast days. Yeah, I preferred talking about politics when it was James Susan Ecker was on the line. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Steve knocked it out of the park again, though. Even if he did get a little bit lost in what he was saying, bless him. I still can't believe he does that for us. Thank you so much, mate. It, it, it cracks us up every time. Yes, yeah, so we've got SCU, they're talking some shit as they normally do. The worst town they've ever been in. There's a little rhyme about SCU. And then the, they're on stage with Tony, uh, trying to decide who's going to represent SCU in the tag team tournament. And they decide on Kaz and Daniels. Tony Schiavone calls AEW LBW. <laughs> what? Tony Schiavone, at the start of this promo, calls AEW LBW. He's been watching too much cricket. Too much cricket, I was going to say. Oh, man, do you reckon he's a fan of the 100? Or do you reckon he's a Test match fan? Oh, absolutely. I, I think he's, uh, he, he's the one person who believes that Welsh Fire can turn it around this season. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would love to take Tony Schiavone for a day at the Test match. That would be, oh, that'd be brilliant. I think it, I think it, it, I think you'd enjoy it. I'm going to the hundred uh, on Wednesday. Look yeah. at you. 
Yeah, not Northern uh, Superchargers versus Southern Braves. Ah, Superchargers will piss it. Uh, I, I'm I'm just going because it's um, free. Yeah, no, it's not one. No, <laughs> absolute liberty. I do normally get free tickets at Edinburgh, to be honest. But <laughs> <laughs> it was a decent guess. But anyway, so they're putting Kaz and Daniels into the tag team tournament, and then out come the Lucha Brothers, Pentagon, and Phoenix. Um, want to remind them why the best team in the universe, Cerro Miedo. Brawling happens, and then for some reason, fucking Aubrey Edwards is in there just cuddling Kaz for a bit. <laughs> but we do get a Dean Malenko sighting. Not quite a Rene Goulet sighting, but we see Dean Malenko. And then we've got another ad break, more extended crowd shots. Again, I skipped it. If I, if I missed anything, let me know. Oh, in my notes, it says, fuck all happened. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, uh, we come back from the uh, the ad break and there's Omega in the books are warming up. Jericho, Santana and Ortiz are strategising. So I don't mind seeing that. You know, I watch a lot of boxing and throughout the night you'll see how the preparations for each fighter are going who's in the main event. And so you'll see them in the various stages as they arrive, as they're taping the fists up, as they're going through the warm-ups, whatever. So no problem with that at all. And... Then we go into let me. What was the next bit? Blah blah blah. Hangman versus Pack. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that's it. And this match annoys me, not for anything they did in the ring, or for any of the commentary, or for any of the refereeing, or for anything that actually happened on this show. It annoys me because this match should have happened at Double or Nothing but ended up happening at WrestleGate in Nottingham. And I had a friend of mine say to me, you've got to come to WrestleGate, you've got to come to WrestleGate, you've got to come to WrestleGate. I was like, I will if I can, I will if I can. Decided that Nottingham was a bit of a chew. I couldn't really be bothered. And then I get the same mate, send me a video, say, here's why you should have come to WrestleGate. And it's the video of Adam Page's entrance moments after it happened. Wow. Because Pac had come out to do an open challenge. The, the, the friend in question who shall remain nameless had a bit of insider info. And, yeah, I'm pissed off because I missed it. Then I missed my chance. <laughs> I, I think you were round to my house, Dan, the day. It was like the first day of the G1. And when Hangman Page debuted his new theme, you know, this sort of horse riding theme. Yeah. Uh, and I infamously shouted, Hangman's going to win the G1, which obviously he didn't. Yeah. <laughs> I, I they, they put so much production into it that it was nailed on. Um, so every time I hear that theme, I shout, Hangman's going to win the G1. <laughs> it was... Um, it was I couldn't believe it, it though. It came out to crickets. And the whole crowd should have been, Hangman's going to win the G1. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that's why this match annoys me what I did like though, was... Wait, 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 was there, what was the reason this match was didn't happen at all like, was there not some weird was it to do with Pac not wanting to drop he was like a champion and he didn't want to lose or something it was, 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 was working for Dragon Gate that's that right time. and I, th- there were rumours that it was because he didn't want to lose while champion yes Yes. Not not on that kind of stage. So it didn't happen at double or nothing. He then subsequently dropped the belt. 
Yep. They had the match in Nottingham and then had the rematch on Dynamite. Got you. If memory serves, I could be wrong. So, so Packers honky tonk man, this situation. <laughs> oh God, I fucking hate honky tonk man. But yeah, kind of. I um, as I watched honky tonk squash against the Ultimate Warrior at uh, SummerSlam '88, like the other night. Yeah, hilarious TV. Like, it's so so funny. I like seeing the shit, seeing him get the shit kicked out of him. Oh God, yeah, yeah. That I can deal with. But one thing I liked in this match was the fact that commentary talked up Pack, essentially been undefeated for two years. So I think he'd, he'd, had, he been, had he actually been out of WWE for two years before he came to AEW? Well, he had a really good run in two oh five live. I used to watch two oh five because they had this period uh, when Pack was champion, and the next two people have disgraced themselves since then but when Enzo was champion when Austin Aries was champion and they always had a big figure sort of at the top of that program who was great at cutting promos and their real focal point of the show and then, then it sort of drops off a cliff after that there is a point in this match JR calls Pack the man that gravity forgot which sounds like a, a WWE trademark so I think Jeremy McDivitt would have probably been all over that yeah I clocked that as well um, but I think it was actually around the, I think that was on his entrance, to be honest, because they then start talking about how he's got a chip on his shoulder, but they're talking about his, his actual wrestling skills, and his grappling and striking, as well as doing all the flippy stuff. So I thought they put a lot into him very early on, Yeah, which I was absolutely behind. And then we get another fucking ad break, throughout which Pat just works the crowd. Before the ad break, someone in the crowd has a sign saying, I missed Kimbo Slight. <laughs> if, if there is any USB competitor that people should miss, it's Tank Motherfucking Abbott. Exactly. <laughs> Philistine. Um, did anybody clock who the referee was in this match? No, sorry, I didn't. Earl Hedner. Yes, it was. He actually got his own entrance in the previous break. We came out to crickets. Yeah, actual uh, Earl Hedner himself refereeing. Pack versus Adam Page, and, and the, the, the set I, was on del- I was delighted to see Earl in this match because he wasn't Aubrey or Remsburg. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, you'd have been happy with me refereeing this match if, as long as it wasn't <laughs> Aubrey or Remsburg. Yeah, anybody could have given it a shot. Uh, Hangman getting no reaction. I remember that pretty well. Like, because the first ever AEW thing I watched was all out, like, live. And I remember him coming out in the main event, and it was really quiet. Like the crowd were really like sort of like not really reacting to him. And then he had a then he had a really good storyline with Kenny Omega and the slow burn and and the you know is it is he an alcoholic? What's going on with Hangman? Blah blah. And it all sort of came to a head and he won the title and then he went right back to coming out to cricket. But the the thing is, Hangman had been through. You know, you think AEW is a really smarky audience, and he'd been through that whole who killed Joey Ryan storyline. Uh, I remember going to Ring of Honor in Doncaster, and there was a part of that story where he'd got like blood on his boots or whatever. So he was there barefoot when he was doing his autographs. Right? Oh yeah, he was, wasn't he? Yeah, to continue the storyline, and you know, pe- people sort of loved that at the time. So mm-hmm. it'd been a relatively big deal on the Indies. 
Uh, and then it just didn't seem to translate to the AEW audience, which was a little bit bizarre. Yeah. I mean, he always gets a good reaction now. Like when he comes out, people always like give him a big reaction. But yeah, I do remember like in the early days, like I don't think people yeah. knew who he was or what his character was. Which I, I, I was I was wearing because I watched a lot of um, NJPW by this point, so I knew exactly how good Hangman was and is. Yeah. And someone that told you was going to win the G one. I know, yeah, that that, that, that was that was rumoured. <laughs> but um, I think it, it speaks to sort of a wider problem with AEW that sort of developed over time where when we've talked about a couple of people already where they kind of expected you to do your homework rather than say here's why you should care about this person. It was this person say, What do you mean you don't know who they are? Why don't you care? And yeah. to a certain section of fans, that's just going to just turn them away. Yeah, I think it's a hard, it's, it's quite a hard one though. I think because part of the criticism of WWE main roster TV was always like too much exposition, like too much explanation, stuff getting thrown, you know, pushed down. So I don't know because I've never watched it. This is just me regurgitating stuff I heard in podcasts. So I think part of that is not wanting to be seen as like a genuine alternative. But, the, but I totally get where you're coming from. Like, somebody casually coming in is not going to know who he is. Mm. And actually, it is their duty to educate yeah. those people. If, if, I, can, if I can interject, for, yeah. for, a long, for a long time, the, the sort of the joke about Raw was that there was a 25-minute promo. And it was the authority, Triple H, Stephanie, Seth Rollins, whoever, just talking at people. For, for nearly one-sixth of of a three-hour show. And that's a lot of time for anybody just to talk at you with with very little coming back the other way. To, to be absolutely fair, though, this today, One Man's Meat podcast, listen to it on this very channel with Danny Ask, Scott Sugarloo and the real Chris Bellis. Uh, we're asking what we thought about 2002, and I, I said one of the main problems was replacing as head of creative... Chris Kresge with Stephanie McMahon. And when mm. Stephanie McMahon comes in, she is the one that's behind that sort of 25-minute promo at the start of the show. Yeah. As soon as she comes in as head of creative, that, that's your slippery slope down into, into that. Yeah. And so what there is, the, the, there's a middle ground to be had between a 25-minute promo and, and dumping and an exposition dump and just throwing something out there and just going there you go and it's in it's back it goes back to the day with it it's a terrible example because of how it panned out but i remember them airing the airing teaser tra- essentially teaser trailers and just shots of the guy's head or body and, and just the name for lord tensai who was who was albert back in the day you know, back in the attitude era but they were shot and done in such a way that you were like, who the... Okay, right. He's coming. You know, Lord Tenzo, right, who the fuck's this? And they're presenting him as the next big heel threat to John Cena. Saying, okay, fresh meat for Cena. New person coming in. And then, and then Albert rocks up and you think, oh, I remember that, dude. It's the guy that used to say, I had piercings in his nipple and his, nipples in his dick. Yeah. <laughs> So it didn't pan out well, but they did enough to build the intrigue. Yeah. Yeah. 
rather than just throwing somebody out there and saying, you know, at most 50% of you have seen this guy on an indie show somewhere where maybe one of the one other member of the AEW roster was involved. We hope you remember him. Yeah, the, yeah, one of the things that really worried me about this match, because, you know, I was really looking forward to this match. Someone in the crowd during the picture-in-picture-in break where Pac was on the outside of the ring shouted at Pac, get in the ring, it's a school night, I want to go home. Oh, wow. I missed that. Just, wow, but I, I missed that one. I didn't see that. One. I didn't hear that one at all. I, I wasn't always so skipped up. That, that. Uh, no, well, I, I was paying attention to the breaks because it, it's been one of my big bugbears with fight that I get the breaks. And you know, <laughs> if they'd cut those out for me, it'd probably be you know I can I can get through the show quicker. I can see the points that I need to see, uh, and often the I don't know they, they just tend to phone it in during the breaks for me. But in terms of the match itself, right as the break ends, literally Pac runs in the ring and the match starts and they start doing sort of the year boo strikes to each other. New Japan type match. And Hangman turns Pac inside out with a clothesline. And at this point, we start getting a cowboy shit chant. So the, the crowd were ready to go for Hangman. They just weren't ready to go for him at the start. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny the psychology of that. It's bizarre. Did you notice who the timekeeper was for this match? I know you don't watch no. 2.0. It was Electra Lopez, who's recently been... I think she's just about to go up to the main roster and probably will by the time this has gone out. But NXT 2.0's Electra Lopez was the timekeeper at AEW at this point. Well, does that, what does that mean? Does that mean she knew someone or...? I don't know that they do have a lady. I don't know her name. Who is the timekeeper and has been I, I, for a long time? I know, who you, I know who you mean because I keep on seeing her. And the reason that I really remember her actually is because um, all out twenty twenty one, when um, the Lucha Brothers won the tag titles, there was a shot. I remember it really, really, really clearly. Just as um, Penta's summoning his daughters down to cover them in like blood with his big hug. And you see there's a shot and she's just in shot, the timekeeper. And yeah. she's just about to start crying. <laughs> and I remember it really, really clearly. And ever since then, I've noticed her. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's interesting. No, I was happy to see Electra Lopez there because it's an XT 2.0 reference. Excalibur's talking about them having that match at WrestleGate. So sort of promoting that. <laughs> Reminding me of my failure. <laughs> I mean, he could really go to town if he wants to remind you of all your failures, Dan. So at least that's yeah. Yeah, but the bright side is a lot of my failures. I don't remember them. No. <laughs> that's the listen. That's like there's some that's really good life lessons there. Just like move on from it. If you're good, if you're gonna fail, fail, fail while you shit face, then you won't remember you failed. Do you think talking about Excalibur? Do you think because I thought in the first match. Excalibur seemed to be taking a bit of a second seat on commentary, I felt. I felt like Jim Ross was kind of very much in the driving seat. Whereas you fast forward to now and I feel like the roles might have been reversed a wee bit. Do, do you feel that? or I definitely do because Excalibur in this match is particularly talking about how Hangman injured his knee in the previous match against Pack in WrestleGate and how Pack is, you know, would be a good strategy to focus on the knee. And 
I was a little bit conflicted about this because it wasn't like there was, you know, a big strapping on the knee that would have made it obvious to the audience that couldn't hear the commentary. Uh, There was nothing before the match. Uh, I'd have liked maybe a highlight package if they'd shown the knee injury before the match and, and made it a big thing. And Excalibur drops it in commentary, and that's great that it's adding colour to the match, but they didn't do enough of it, I felt, to, to really pull that out for the audience. It's a case of the, the bit he's done is good, but if you really want to make it truly effective, it needs to have the bits that Rob said. So it's like it's the difference between getting a getting a passing grade at a C and bumping it up to an A. Yeah. I think is, is, is the fairest way to say it. It wasn't bad. It just wasn't exceptional, if you know what I mean. It wasn't, it wasn't the top tier. But well, It's good that they call that sort of thing out, and that's the sort of thing I want to see in my wrestling. I want yeah. the chink in the armour that this wrestler's got that is going to mean the other wrestler's going to get an advantage. But they, they could, as you say, they could have made it excellent. And, and that's my argument with it, that it feels like an opportunity lost. Yeah. But the match itself is bloody good again. I really like this match. There's, there's, with, with any pack match, there's almost too many things where you want to go, oh, that was great, oh, that was great, oh, that was great. Because he does so much. That's brilliant. Yeah. But the one thing that I really loved in Pac's transition from leaving WWE to arriving in AEW. Obviously, the shift into the, the full-on bastard heel character. But also the fact that he started using the submission finisher. So he still does the black arrow, but he shifts it straight into the brutalizer. So he's done the big flashy move, but then almost just just to be a bastard, he whacks on a submission and makes him give up. Yeah, I, I really, really did love that as a, as a, a sort of a touch into uh, into his character. I think, um, and they really put it over. If you remember his match with Kenny Omega, the shock submission victory against Kenny. Yeah, the brutalizers, the match that finishes it off. I think at that point, you know, Pac's booking was like really, really good. You know, they'd really successfully built him at that point. Yeah, I, I hadn't appreciated that though about. Because I hadn't seen, you know, his WWE run, so mm. I didn't. I always knew it was a Red Arrow, right? That was his yeah. original <laughs> name. So I knew it obviously changed that, but I didn't. I appreciated that the transition to the uh, crossface submission was a new thing that he'd adopted since leaving. Oh yeah. Funnily enough, I actually I'm, I'm going to drop it in again because I'm for a while. I was at SummerSlam 2015, and my I saw cards. Hey, hey, shut up! It's been a while. Um, <laughs> um, and we uh, on that card was Pack and uh, Adrian Neville as he was Neville as he was then, and Stephen Amell versus Stardust Cody Rhodes and Wade Barrett. Wow! So to go from sort of you know the happy smiley flippy baby face Neville to Pack. Yeah. And to go from Stardust to how Cody Rhodes is here was in in four years. Is uh, was was a sort of a great transformation. I remember watching it back and thinking, "Fucking hell, that's uh, yeah." I think uh, judging, judging just on that, then uh, then they probably did right to leave. <laughs> I, 
I enjoyed the Stephen Amell rivalry, though. I, I, I thought did. Stephen yeah. was a really good celebrity wrestler to get in. I enjoyed that. Yeah, well, he's, we've said before how it's hard to to do to have celebrities in wrestling. Stephen Amell, when Arrow was at its height, and and the the DC TV universe was as was at its sort of height of popularity. To have him in there was brilliant, especially since he's in such good shape and he's such a passionate wrestling fan. He was absolutely perfect for something like that. Yeah. And my tongue will turn black for saying it because I cannot stick the guy. But Logan Paul has kind of done the same thing. Yeah, that's my opinion um, as well. He's a colossal dickbag, in my opinion. But you can't that's, fall. It's not necessarily a problem, is it, though? You know, in the, at the end of the day... Like he's a genuine fan, and I feel the same about Bad Bunny. You know, I don't, I don't yes, Bad Bunny, Bad Bunny's fantastic, yeah. But, but WWE, but um, Bad Bunny's, but it was at WrestleMania, so like two WrestleManias yeah. ago. You could tell he was an enthusiast for this. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like you could he, tell he, he was really, really into what he was doing, and that's an infectious feeling that kind of comes out at the screen at you. You know? Yeah, it really I, does. I can't believe the biggest wrestling fan celebrity of all time hasn't been mentioned is that well the man who holds a legitimate victory over tank abbott david motherfucking arquette well you see (laughs) this is the thing right david arquette is not the biggest celebrity wrestler ever he just isn't because you're forgetting he's 110 pounds of class no he's not no you're forgetting a man that shaped so many people's childhoods and is just an absolute legend and got to be part of one of the most high-profile intergender tag team matches of all time in Brighton. Dave Benson Phillips tagging to, to with Martina. To be absolutely fair, Brian Glover is the best celebrity wrestler of all time. Yes, yes, he is. Yeah, as, uh, as Leon Harris. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not quite sure how we got to this because uh, Pack versus uh, Page was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're tangenting again, but I do I th- love it. I think, I think what's a surprise to me, thinking back, looking back in this match, is obviously Pack's been a champion in AEW. He's a champion now, I think, but um, he didn't win the big one, and that's actually a bit of a surprise. Like now, looking back on it, I thought he was being like shaped up to be AEW champion. And it didn't happen. It's a bit of a surprise, actually, that he hasn't been in Paige Harris in some ways. I think, wasn't there some issue where he had to leave for a little bit? I don't know if it was a visa problem. And then that was sort of, he came back and he got given, you know, they got put into Death Triangle. And then then obviously the pandemic. Um, And he he was sort of caught over here, wasn't he? He was caught on our side of the pond. So he effectively missed... He was doing his moody videos from like Newcastle upon North Shields or whatever. <laughs> um, that was like actually one of my pandemic highlights, apart from Moxley's promos about phoning your grandma and stuff like that. It was like Pac just making a moody North Shields beach video and saying, Don't forget about me, mate. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm fucking Whitley Bay. Somebody enters <laughs> over the top of that. So the Spider Life on Mars with Pac being moody in the background and John Cena doing. <laughs> but I think if, the, if there's one thing you can you can't take away from this open episode of Dynamite, it's how good the in ring action was. Yeah, just yeah. throughout it, it really was good. 
and uh, and just for just for Chris Bellis, uh, because uh, this is one of his phrases. Uh, I noticed that the uh, the future four hundred pound horseman was at ringside, Conrad Thompson. Oh, was he? Yeah, I think they mentioned it on commentary as well, but it just always tickles me when Chris refers to him as the four hundred pound horseman. <laughs> I mean, far, far bit for me to criticise anybody's weight. I'm a big fat fucker, but yeah, it always tickles me. <laughs> I remember um, he was in the crowd for Double or Nothing, the first Double or Nothing, mm-hmm. and uh, at the moment I realised that was um, like one of my favourite wrestling like YouTube videos. Is there's a shot of Jericho's post match promo at Double or Nothing, and Moxley starts coming down the stairs, and you see the crowd starting to react to him as he comes yes. down the stairs, and there's there's this big dude in the front row who's getting really excited as Moxley rolls into the ring, and I'm like. That's Conrad Thompson. That is him. Because that lady that's with him looks a bit like Charlotte Flair. So that must be her sister, right? That's I think that's her. Well, do you know where Megan Flair made her professional wrestling debut? A great American Bash 2000. <laughs> <laughs> Which will have been, maybe, possibly already has coming soon or will be coming soon to the unbooking the Sanctuary feed. <laughs> ah. The greatest built-up uh, a pay-per-view of all time. It might actually be, yeah. Yeah, like I say, with, with Packy, it's it's always going to be just non-stop action. Um, I think there was particularly there was a, a springboard 450 from Pack that that kind of split the crowd, which was weird to me because I thought it'd be very sort of pro-American, anti you know anti-English. But you know, even just with Pack portrayed as the heel, it normally goes that way. But yeah, another great match, and I always, I always kind of forget somehow just how athletic Page is and how agile he is. Like you know, hitting the Urihara moonsault to the outside, and and just the buckshot lariat itself is a ridiculously athletic move. It really is, and I think CS Punk found that out recently in their feud, didn't he? When he yes. couldn't quite, <laughs> when he was supposed to do it, and he like broke his foot trying to do it or whatever. Is that how he did it? Oh, yeah. Well, no, I mean, that's total speculation on my part, but it was definitely something to do with a rope, though. But I don't I don't know if it was that or when he was, like, doing a springboard off the rope or not. But anyway. I think they are trying to sell, though, that the spin round for the kick that Punk gave to Moxley was where he redid the injury sort of thing. That's right. That's right, yeah. yeah. No, I'm a big, I'm a big, big Adam Page fan. Like, it helps that he's clearly, like, a really... Like good human as well. I love I love his t-shirts, but uh, yeah, I'm a huge I'm a huge Hangman uh, fan. Yeah. I, I love during the pandemic on uh, being the elite where he was sort of hiding out in a he's like living in a tree, and uh, he was he, he was <laughs> he was having a mental breakdown with the rest of us. That was the solidarity public version of it. So high five, Adam Page. We love you. And uh, as all good wrestling matches should, this uh, the finish to this one involved a kick in the bollocks, <laughs> um, <laughs> which was the setup for the uh, the black eye into the brutalizer, and then Pack is is two and zero in AEW. But we'll uh, we'll see if he ever gets a uh, a world title shot, or if they'll just palm off the uh, the, the all Atlantic Championship on him. That's right, the championship that was created specifically for him by the looks of things. At least they've had him defending it in England. That's that's, that's one thing. Whole, that seems to be the whole kind of like idea behind it is it's just going to be 
he, def- he defends it at like Rev Pro shows or whatever. Um, so yeah. Yeah, because yeah, Rev Pro need more titles. <laughs> like AEW need more titles. Well, they're getting the trios one. But anyway, I'd like to say I have no idea what's going on, but we'll see how that plays out. Uh, next up is the inaugural women's title match for AEW. Uh, Riho versus Nyla Rose, and they, uh, they they bring out Britt Baker for commentary. And of all the people from sort of the start, from AEW's inception to now, I'd say that Britt Baker has had one of the best and most drastic transformations because she's gone from she's gone from sort of deer in the headlights baby face to one of the absolute best heels. To be absolutely fair, you know, she's she's had a massive plus on there. I love Britt Baker. You have missed out, though, that there was a picture-in-picture break where Riho came down to the ring and she just looked like she was shitting herself. I thought she was going to have to was face it? Tank Abbott. <laughs> <laughs> was that? Yeah, yeah, the picture-in-picture break from 1 hour 13.24 to 1 hour 16.30. In my notes, fuck all happened. Uh, I've, I've got it here that I can't tell if Rio got a big pop or, the, or her music got turned up when she, she actually came out for her entrance. The reaction she got was generated by her in the match. Like, nobody mm. was reacting to her when she walked out at all. That is exactly what I was going to bring up about this match that stands out the most to me. Yeah. They, they took a crowd who could not give a shit and made them give a shit. I'm not the biggest Riho fan. Um, Me either, actually. I I, I really like Nyla Rose. Mm -hmm. um, I I think they really missed a trick here not putting the title on Nyla Rose. Having a dominant heel champion. Yeah. Yeah. Because often in wrestling, the frill's in the chase, and it's better to have the babyface chasing the title. And you you could have had Riho lose here get squashed very quickly and lose. And then the star is in that comeback for her. Mm-hmm. If yeah. you want to you can do it that way. I mean, we, we've spoken so often about how we've loved Spike Dudley's booking in ECW, where he's the smaller guy, but he comes in and hits a move really quickly and wins. And mm-hmm. if you do that with a smaller person, it's great. There's, there's four or five times in my notes for this match when I've said, you could have ended it there for Riho winning and it would have been a lot better but they stretched mm. it out stretched it out and just it became ridiculous to, to to me watching the TV yes it did but the crowd right to the end were eating this up oh for, yeah yeah for, for, for the for the live for the live audience this went exactly the amount of time that it that it needed and that, and that they wanted even if they didn't know it I did love Riho doing the uh, the Manami Toyota, like the bridging escape out of uh, out of the pin. I think she did it at least once, maybe twice. She kept doing it, but when Miami Toyota did it, it looked like she was actually powering off the per- like Aja Kong on top of her. Yeah. When Riho does it, it looks like it's a cooperation move with Nyla Rose moving for her. That's fair. That that is fair, but I still think this match deserves a lot of credit for for bringing around that live audience. It, it, it's maybe only 50% of the job because they need to win over the TV the TV audience too. But in terms of going from having crickets to actually having people give a shit about the finish, 
the people in the arena giving the shit up a finish, which you can which you can feel through the TV. Yeah, yeah. I think this match did a very good job. Like I'm I'm completely with you, Rob. I share the same criticisms. The amount of punishment Riho took was bordering on the farcical. Nyla Rose could rip her apart like a chicken wing in reality. But enough people in that arena suspended the disbelief yep. to yeah. make what to make what they did very good. Very good's maybe the wrong word to make it effective. Yeah. I mean my notes at the end of this match are bull fucking shit. But <laughs> but but the crowd loved it. So yeah. I, you know, I, I am I am not seeing the same thing that, that they're seeing. Um, Rio had come in and hit the acid drop like Spike Dudley did and, and won like when he was dancing on top of Mike Awesome um, on that episode of ECW that we just watched um, I, I'd have loved it if Nala Rose had squashed her I'd have loved it if it had gone a long time and Nala Rose had won I'd, I'd have loved it but for me personally it, it's not for me Yeah, I mean I, I'd had a totally different experience watching this match I thought this was fantastic and I also wasn't feeling it at the start I was like, oh dear, this is like the first match where the, the crowd doesn't care. And obviously didn't have the baggage of like three years of watching a booker who doesn't care about the women's division. But um, this for me was like, I think the last time I was on, I was saying to you guys, like my, my the biggest thing that I get from wrestling is a crowd reaction. Like, I think that's just such a special, unique thing in wrestling. Maybe not unique, but there's something unique about the crowd reaction in wrestling that's not quite the same as it is in like sports and things. And I think for me, the longer this went on, the more captivated I was by it. And the more she got beat up, the more like I, I actually like was had a problem with her losing. So like when she won at the end, it was like a total like moment of euphoria for me. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so I, I guess we just had different different experiences watching this. One of the things that really annoyed me about this in the in the picture in picture, Nala Rose had the STF on. Um, a couple of episodes we've just done our, our Lou Fez special, and all through the picture in picture break, she's got the FTS on, and then literally as they they come back to camera, she just drops it for no apparent reason. <laughs> and and, and yeah. Lou Fez is turning in his grave. Nala Rose should have won. Imagine. If Nala Rose had won the championship in Picture in Picture, that would have said to the entire audience that you have to watch Picture in Picture. You cannot turn the channel. Titles can change in Picture in Picture. And, and they just ignored it. Yeah, match one in Picture in Picture. They did that. I think they did that last year, didn't they, in the Orange Cassidy match? I mean, but, they've yeah. done it. Very infrequently, but if the first AEW women's title had changed in picture in picture, that is your stake in the ground. That is your, you cannot miss picture in picture. Or it's an opening for a bunch of smarky bastards to like, oh, they don't give a shit about the women. It changed it, it changed in the ad break. Well, I mean, they could have done that. Yeah. I think, but, but, um, I'll be honest, that, 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 is what, that is what annoyed me. Um, and it sort of took me out of it. I, I'm, I'm sort of between the two here in, in terms of how I enjoyed this match. I didn't give a toss at the start. I remembered watching it and not caring much at the time. But on the second viewing and and sort of analysing it and, and taking a step back, I can appreciate it. But the letting go of the STF in the break was 
borderline unforgivable. It's if anything, wait until it comes back. Wait until the TV comes back. Then, if you have to, let go of the STF. But the fact is, Rio's nearly unconscious. Just keep it on. It, it, it makes no logical sense to break it. And, you know, maybe that's me diving too far into it. But, yeah, it, it was a big thing that nearly took me out of the whole match. But I still think this... I, I still don't think that I gave this the credit it deserved when I watched it first time. And I watched it on ITV, so I won't have seen the picture in picture. But it's nice, it's nice when it gets a bit divisive, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I think... In, in, in retrospect, for, for me, and it's obviously we've kind of had a very different experience watching this, but for me, it's almost like witnessing a bit of like one of the many false dawns for the women's division in AEW. Like when you watch mm. something that you think is really, really good, and you think, "Oh, this is the this is the turning point." Well, this was the starting point, right? But this is the turning point, and then it's never. It's just so obvious that it doesn't matter, you know. And even for like you know big enthusiasts and AEW lovers like me, like you can't like not see that because it's right in your face. And um, I think the fact that as well that like WWE do, do women's wrestling so well. Like I remember when I got back into wrestling, I then went back to look at a bunch of like you know WWE pay per views, and my buddies told me to watch a few. And I watched uh, I think I watched like Bailey and Sasha from a takeover. Was it 2015 or something like that? And it was like... I was there, was funnily like, enough. No way. Bingo! <laughs> <laughs> but I was watching that, and it was so noticeable, the difference. Do you know what I mean? And the whole thing, like the presentation, how, like, their, their performance level, you know, to be honest as well, was, like, very, like, different. And I was like, holy shit, this is, like, different to what I see every week on Dynamite. And, you know, like, in some ways, like, some stuff's changed, like, the talent's better. But at the end of the day, like, I think if you're not gonna like take the booking of a division seriously, like no amount of like great like raw material is gonna change anything. Yeah, so in, in some respects that's how I thought when I was watching it, I was like, ah, you know, one of the other false dawns in AEW is like the history of AEW's women's division. Which is a bit sad really. When when AEW started, I, I got this feeling that they'd say one thing and do the exact opposite. So I remember that they said something along the lines of, you know, we're not going to make the women's division a bikini photo shoot. And then on Being the Elite, they had a bikini photo shoot with Brandy Rhodes and Penelope Ford. And um, it was like, and, and Ali. And it was like, you you literally said last week you weren't going to do this. And, and presumably, it, that was, presumably that was a, a, a typical BTE on the nose. Like, no, I, I think they did it seriously. This was it. The thing was, though, they didn't do it tongue in cheek. They did it seriously, and it was like, ah. Oh. So, so this is the problem. This is the problem. If you're just doing a thing and calling it satire or calling it parody, you're not being a parody. You are just doing the thing, yeah, and saying you're doing it ironically. At the very, at the very least, it's it's misguided. Um, but Rob, I think for a lot for a long time, you had a sort of statistical analysis on on why maybe the the AEW women's division wasn't booked as strong. It was based on the on sort of the average viewership of the segments, 
and it was partly I'm sure you had something that was saying that the women's matches were the the low or the women's segments were the lowest viewed. Therefore, why would they keep putting them on? Yeah, yeah, and it's a, it's a circular argument, though, isn't it? Like I'm sure in the early days of the women's yeah. being given greater profile on like Raw, like that would have been the case. Like you're you're conditioning your audience. Like if you want to change something, you need to put like the effort and the you know the focus on it to to have it taken seriously mm-hmm. by the audience. Like. Yeah. I think we're now so far down the rabbit hole. Oh yeah, in EW of like it's the piss break. It's like oh, it's almost like beyond satire at this point, um, and that's despite some of the greatest like talent. You know, some really good talent. But if you if you're conditioned for three years to receive a segment in some way, like there's no amount of like effort or good work that's going to undo like the conditioning of an audience. And I, I wasn't advocate. I wasn't advocating or condoning it. Just it was, it was Rob offered it as an explanation as to yeah, possibly yeah. why the sort of the management felt that way. I, I, just, I just wanted to get that on record. I've, I've, no, but, seen, I've seen many people do the same, like you know, like saying, "And this is why," you know, here's the justification for the for the way it's done, and it's it's a it's a completely like backward. It's like an arse first rate, like argument. Like if you want it to succeed, you can you. You give it the profile and you give it the effort and you give it the time. And if you don't give, you know, if, you, if you're not that bothered about it, you do what they do. They, they just don't seem to to give it the the time or effort or respect. I mean, you know, the Madison Reigns come in to train the women in AEW, and that's brilliant. You know, she, she was um, part of the hottest f- faction in TNA when TNA was the epicenter for Western women's wrestling. But they bring her out on Rampage and they just have to lose a match for the sake of it. You know, it's... There just seems to be so many missteps that they make with it. And it's frustrating. It really yeah, is. It's, 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 a, a cultural, it's a cultural thing. Like, if within the working culture of AEW, within the people who have influence within AEW, like... They obviously just don't see it as being a priority. I think it's as, it really is as simple as that. I think. Yeah, but this is where you delegate. This is where you need someone like a Fit Finley to come in. Who Finley got given charge of the women's division in WWE, and basically said they've given me this to either test me or yeah. try and get me to leave. Yeah. But I'm going to make it. I'm going to make. I'm going to do my absolute best because I want. I want my my charges, you know, my employees now to do the best they can and be the best they can. And that was uh, that was one part of how and why we saw better women's matches going forward. And then, you know, then that snowballs into whatever. So maybe it does take someone like, you know, maybe it does take someone like that to actually, to like you say, just ultimately give a shit. Yep. There, there was a lot of stuff in this that was just you you watch it and just it, it, there's a bit of it that's like shock and awe um, I'm thinking you know, even just the visual of, of Nyla Rose just catching Riho in midair and hitting a backbreaker that's the point where I'm thinking well that's it her spine is now in several pieces yeah. there's no physical hit can go on and, and I really I kind of contradict myself because one of the things I hate in wrestling is when people are dragging themselves up on the turnbuckle into like a into sort of like a to hold the cells horizontal to then take the knees 
but I don't mind it when Nyla drapes somebody over the top rope, gets to the top and hits the knee to the back of the head. So that, maybe I'm, that maybe makes more sense. They're not holding themselves up in that position. Yeah, they're just they're lifeless and draped and, and just going to eat shit. But, but that should be a finisher. Yeah. That you know, there should be no way back yes. from that because. And I've I've sort of I've, I've said that I, I I want to give this match all the credit in the world for for bringing around the live audience. It's not without its flaws. The size discrepancy between the two wrestlers should be insurmountable. It sort of took me out of it. It's not like, like you said, Rob, about Rey Mysterio. Rey always found a way to to be the underdog and and, and to come back. It, it, I, 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 mean, I never it, said that. There was a vast period of uh, Rey Mysterio's career where he didn't do that in WWE and uh, they were just like, oh, the world's smallest big man and there, there was periods when he did that. Yeah, sorry, I'm, uh, I'm paraphrasing badly. I've, I've been drinking, funnily enough. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and I suppose maybe it's a bit harsh to compare anyone to one of the best ever in Rey Mysterio, but the size discrepancy brought me out of it a little bit. There was one, two, there was a few too many near falls. Nyla breaking the hold all took me out of it. But ultimately, they won that crowd over. And I'll, I even like the afters with Nyla going after Nakazawa. I don't know if that's just because yeah. I like seeing Michael Nakazawa eat shit. No, I, I enjoyed that. Uh, I, I enjoyed her beating the crap out of Nakazawa and uh, um, she, she gave him an almighty power bomb. She did, and then we see we see Omega uh, saving Riho in, uh, in in a moment that set up, didn't set up an angle and didn't go anywhere, from what I remember. I think this is just the problem, Omega saving Riho. Backstage, he is the one that's really championing her. And I, I don't know if that's to the benefit of AEW. I think at this I point... I don't think so. Was, was, he, was he booking the women's division at this point? I, I, know I, he, so. I know he definitely did that as you know uh, at some point in time. I'm not entirely sure if uh, at this particular show he was. But, you know, he's an EVP... This is clearly his favourite. This is yep. the way he wants to go. He's got a lot of sway in the company. Yep. Sure. Fair play, fair play to Riho, though. She made that belt look like it was made for people and not a toy. But th- this was the other thing. Because they made the women's championship so small, and at least they've made it a little bit bigger now, you knew that they were never going to give it to Nyla Rose because it would look like a toy in her hand. Has Nyla Rose never been AEW women's champion? Well, she has, yeah. but you knew, you knew that they were never oh, going right, to make yeah. the first champion because it, it was it was designed as Riho's belt. Right, got you. The, the new women's title so much better. But I remember sitting there one day, and I must have just been not paying been paying attention correctly for a while. But I remember looking up and just going, "Wait, that's the women's belt now. When did that happen?" <laughs> I, don't I think it was like a, but I it. like a year in. They, they had like a presentation um, ceremony for Shida when she was champion. No, Shida never held that belt. She did, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then they swapped it over. Oh, right. <laughs> I I thought that happened like towards the end of Britt Baker's reign. Yes, so did I. Think I, I, I my memory's not very good. Though. Right, that, but that makes me feel better. Uh, thanks for playing along. I'll, I'll pay you that. 
I'll, I'll, I'll pay Pally that 50 quid. Um, uh, coming out of the match, we, we get an advert for full gear and then we get what I thought was an ad break, but it wasn't. And the building up to... Uh, oh, it's the entrances for Omega and the Bucks. Omega and Bucks out first, which was... Uh, a little bit we, surprising, but I'm glad I'm glad Jericho came out last. We do get an ad break because I've timed it. We have 90 seconds where literally nothing happens and we don't get any sound or anything and they're just literally stood in the ring doing fuck all. That's where I was confused. I found it a bit weird re-watching it today that Kenny Omega didn't get his own entrance. I found that really, really odd. Um, yeah, maybe it's because he's but, come back recently and it was a really big deal and all that but they came out to the being the elite theme tune <laughs> um, I think that was that was good. that was was giving their own YouTube show a blow jibber I think <laughs> well I, I mean it's given the fact that it basically burst the company I think that's fair enough probably at the time I just thought it was weird like, yeah like <laughs> not a fan never watched it to be fair so I can't say yeah, yeah. on it <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I I think at that time I'd, I watched it every week. I don't anymore. It's definitely like not essential viewing anymore. But I did at the time for sure. I certainly watched it at the time. I was a little bit almost annoyed that being the elite had given me the idea that it would be a really gimmick-based promotion, and right, it turned into right. a really wrestling-heavy promotion. And I'm like, well, mm. yeah, I've kind of been given a um, a false bill of goods here. Mm-hmm. Rob sat. Rob sat there like, well, this is good, but what if you had a triple cage match? <laughs> I think on every showdown. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, every wrestling match, I'm open for Canyon running down and uh, <laughs> you know falling off the cage and David Arquette at the top of the cage. Every single one. Um, proud, proud and Purple's entrance made me sad. Because that used to be a really good tag team, and that like yeah. I was like one of my favourite tag teams actually. Um, I also thought Santana had like really big baby face, like future world champion energy. Like I thought he was a really charismatic guy, and it sort of made me sad watching them come in because they were really fucking good together. And obviously, something's not worked out there. Almost their entire AW run has made me sad. Yeah. Because when they were LAX in Impact, they were incredible. No, I was going to say, so that's what I see. I missed out on all that stuff. I've heard a lot of people say LAX were like a really great faction in Impact. And I know their theme tune's amazing, because I've heard that online. But because I didn't really ever see any of that, I, I'm kind of like a bit uh, blind to it. Well, it was... One of the best things was Santana and Ortiz came in with Conan as kind yes. of the new LAX, the updated LAX, and that they dominated, they were great. Then they had the feud with Eddie Kingston, no, sorry, it was Eddie Kingston with Santana and Ortiz, I think. And then it was Conan with Homicide and Hernandez as the old school LAX. And then everything from, they had, a, they had a ridiculous, incredible barbed wire massacre match. That they that they spent they were really clever with. They said they said the network won't allow us to air this. So they spent weeks hyping it, saying we will not be allowed to show this on TV. It's not going to happen on TV. We can't do it. Go over to I think it was YouTube or something like that. They did it all. They did this whole match on YouTube, but spent weeks building to it. 
and I don't know what the viewing figures were, but I was just like, right, I have to watch it. I have to watch yeah, it. Must watch. <laughs> and it was ridiculously violent. But I, I was lucky enough to see LAX wrestle a few matches live when they toured Britain. Oh, yeah. They were wrestled two matches in two days. Pro at the um, J Cup when you were sat next to me at MediaCon in Manchester. Yes, some then, but they also did two progress shows. I, I did not sneak in. I had an escort in uh, from, a, from a friend who was working the show. Basically, my mate was working the show just, just walking after me and looked like you belong. You'll be fine. I'll just tell him you're with me. <laughs> and it worked? <laughs> yeah. I was I was I was a lot thin, I was a lot I was a lot thinner back then and I'm six foot and like quite broad so there was like I was going to say Dan to be fair I don't think I'd mess with you like if I didn't know you and saw you in the street so you know I'm I'm a fucking I'm a fucking pudding <laughs> <laughs> that was the show when I I could have fed Eddie Edwards because I'd gone to that um like that concession. And it had gone up yeah. to it, and he's just it for a jacket potato, and then he's coppering up, and he didn't have enough money. And I just stood and watched him, and went, I'll have a chilly jacket. <laughs> and, then, and then afterwards, I was thinking, I, I probably should have bought him a jacket potato. <laughs> <laughs> that, 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 that was the same That's venue good. as the year before. Uh, the year before that, the, um, uh, oh, who was it? Um, what was the YouTube... What Culture Pro Wrestling, WCPW, had their Japan their Japan qualifier of the World Cup in that building in the Bowlers Exhibition Centre in Manchester. And I was in the same queue, but they were doing hot dogs. Like these giant fucking foot-long hot dogs. And I was stood there, and there was a curtain next to me, like separating the crowd from wherever. And this massive, massive dude pokes his head through. Long hair, huge beard. And then he shuffles out, like, really awkwardly. It was Hansen from War Machine, and he was. Ah. It was. It was now. Um, uh, it was now Ivar in the Viking Raiders in WWE, and he was carrying the IWGP tag belts in a Tesco carrier bag. We did see Okada uh, buying the Tesco meal deal and altering them, didn't we? Yeah, we did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you did. <laughs> so yeah, all that to be said. Uh, uh, Absolutely love Santana and Ortiz as LAX. It was it was CCK I saw him wrestle twice. They had back to back matches at um, progress shows in Manchester and Sheffield, and they were unreal. But um, they just they've not hit the hit the heights really in AEW, and it's a crying shame because they are easily yeah. one of the best tag teams out there. Yeah, and this match reminded me of that. You know, like watching them in action, like at the peak, you know, really yeah. peak of the powers and working really well, and it's like so charismatic. Something's happened there, and I don't know what. But yeah, a few other things at the start of this match that made me smile. Jericho getting played out to Judas and the crowd not singing along. That made me laugh. Because, <laughs> like, see, like, I think you, even when he like turned heel again recently, everyone's just like singing Judas, like, other way around. <laughs> he's like, he's loving it. He's like, yeah, yeah, keep on, keep it, keep it coming. And then he tells them all to shut up as soon as he starts his promo. But yeah, like some some interesting like um, things just uh, in terms of the entrances and things. I was a big believer, especially when you know Jericho was announced for New Japan, and I thought he was going to come in as a face. He ended up coming in as a heel. I would love Jericho to have like a heel version of Fozzie's SOS, and 
like you know just when it when it sort of like hits into the chorus started there uh obviously they'd have to pay abba for the rights but tony khan you know i mean is jefferson starship theme for orange cassidy <laughs> at the moment right. which i'm absolutely <laughs> loving but fucked out all the money for jungle boys theme we, well, I, I actually mentioned because i was in traveling man in manchester and there were two guys behind the counter and they were playing Jungle Boy by Baltimore over the thing. And one of them said to the other, oh, that's um, Jungle Boy's theme. And I said, I think you'll find it was Superstar Billy Graham's theme first. <laughs> was it? It was. So we, it was on, on an episode of UTT that we had uh, Matt Willis on for, Superstar Billy Graham. The first Superstars. Yeah, they used that. It was uh, and uh, Billy Superstar Billy Graham had uh, a tarantula on his face for reasons. So yeah, why not? But you're exactly right saying about the the sort of chemistry with Santana and Ortiz in this match because it, it really was just next level. And I'm, people are going to call me a smarky bastard and whatever, but I respect Omega in the books for what they can do physically. They are incredible athletes. I've never really given a sh- much of a shit about them as wrestlers, like as actual characters. As as as, like Rob says before, you know about the about the sizzle and the sausage. I really disagree with you, Dan, because there's been this big debate in current AEW about are you a wrestler or are you a sports entertainer? For me, the Young Bucks massively fall into the sports entertainer category. They are whenever you watch a Young Bunk Bucks match. It's a greatest hits match. And, you know, wrestlers always do that sort of thing where they have the signature and the finisher. But the entirety of a Young Bucks match feels like you've bought the best of the Young Bucks rather than you've bought an album that's been created and it's got nuances and all this sort of stuff. Then I'm buying an album for a band I don't like. Well, that's fair enough. (laughs) They're not everyone's uh, particular band band of vodka, are they? But I used to like them. Yeah. What in the Indies? You mean, or in New Japan? New Japan. They've just—it's since since going to AEW, they have got so stale, and they've tried being faces, they've tried being heels. I just don't give a shit. The the most I've given a shit about Omega, even through New Japan, he was all right in the chase going for the title, but I've only really given a shit when he was in when they revived the Golden Lovers with Ibushi, and that's because I really like Kori Ibushi. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, c- come on, Danny. He grew a beard to look like Harley Race. <laughs> Who did? Omega. In AEW. I, I quite liked uh, Omega being the AEW champion when they finally got there. I think I would have preferred if they'd had him on the Naito losing streak a bit longer and built him up. Uh, I think they didn't commit to that enough. But I, I did enjoy Kenny Omega's AEW championship run. I think it's kind of sour for me because it coincided with his uh, with his impact wrestling ego wank. He could have done without that, um, to be fair. Yeah. In, in, impact could have done without it, to be honest. But that's that's a personal taste again. And, you know, I appreciate it. The thing, the thing is, in isolation, watching the actual matches and just judging it on the in-room work, I, I will never deny that Okada Omega are a series of incredible matches. But I only give a shit about Okada. And I don't know, it's just I've got a funny blind spot. And, and weirdly, 
I can pinpoint exactly when Kenny Omega lost me. It turns out he lost me pretty much for good. It's when he was in his cleaner days, and I saw him on a... I saw him in the undercard of a Wrestle Kingdom, I think. And he was doing, he was like raking his forearm across somebody's eyes. And they said, oh, he, um, he shaves his forearms, but he keeps them stubbly to like to further irritate people's eyes. And I just went, shut the fuck up. And that's probably the commentator's fault. But I was just like, from then on, that's all I assert, that's all I could associate Kenny Omega with in my head. And it's just that it's that feeling made of every time I say, fuck off. <laughs> and when he does that stupid, you can't escape thing. And then he, he fails to take the moves. Well, they obviously can escape. They just roll forward. <laughs> but the, the thing is, Dan, one of your favourite matches of all time basically uses that trope. When, when Leon Harris has his elbow brace on and then he reverses it, you believe that a reversed elbow brace is, is scratching Les Kelly's eyes and, and that's cheating. Uh, and then he puts it on the right way around and it's normal. Yeah, makes perfect sense. But the stubbly elbow doesn't, you know. I think, that's called, I think that's called feeling rather than thinking, and there's nothing wrong with feeling rather than thinking. Yeah, no, that's fair, that's fair enough. I, I, I'm, 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 I'm 100% acknowledge my own bullshit. Yeah, yeah this yeah. is probably it. There's, there's, <laughs> I don't ever listen. Like, if there's any place for like lack of logic, like in life, it's in a fucking wrestling ring. Like, <laughs> do you know oh, what I mean? Right. Like, can, can, can we clip? Can we clip that? <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, well, well, yeah. That's every question we've ever had, isn't it? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm the opposite. I'm, so I think, um, I think because my re-entry to wrestling has basically been through the Young Bucks, more or less, I kind of hold them in really high esteem for that reason. So they're almost like beyond. It's almost like the opposite for me. They're like almost like beyond reproach. Plus, I love the like their matches. I think their matches are always really good. Matches involving the Bucks are always good. Really, sort of complex like trios matches not involving the Bucks. At least in AEW, like quite often, it's quite noticeable when they're not involved. Um, and Kenny, I just love Kenny. I just love him as a person and as a performer. I think he's fantastic. So somebody told me once, right? Like my dad, like bear with me here, right? My dad was a big Margaret Thatcher fan. And um, so I grew up like thinking that Thatcher was like really okay, and I said this to someone once, and they said, "Horatio, like you and I are really on the the opposite end of the Thatcher appreciation spectrum," and then that was it. <laughs> <laughs> was well, they talking about her work involving ice cream? To be fair, <laughs> <laughs> rather than a political career. So I, I feel like we might be on the opposite ends of the young bucks. Appreciation spectrum here, oh, because mate, I, I, I can't wait to I can't wait to meet you in person in Cardiff and debate this over a couple of pints. <laughs> I, I, I have to say, Horatio, I am a massive fan of Margaret Thatcher's work on soft scoop ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I'm totally reformed now. Have, having having kids has sorted all that out. I've flushed it well out of my system. Relax, I'm really okay. <laughs> oh god! I never, I never, I never thought, I never thought we'd go. I never thought we'd go from Kenny Omega to Margaret Thatcher that fast. I, I never thought we'd hear a Scottish person say they like Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> Listen, in the eighties, like she was all the rage up here. That's all I'm saying. Sorry, that brain fight. Then trying to compute how. Um. It's it's well that is one for a pint because that's all to do with like um, 
Oh, what is it? What is it? It's like um, small C conservatism that's all bound up in like proddy, like work ethic and guilt and things like that. You know that that's the sort of link I think. She brainwashed you with the lizard powers. Got it. <laughs> also a good summary. Also a good summary. Anyway, back to the match. <laughs> I don't want to talk about Thatcher. This this match has the distinction of having one of the actual amusing uh, ad breaks and picture-in-picture stuff because somebody throws a hot dog in the ring. Oh, yeah. And we get to hear Jericho say the phrase, who threw the wiener in the ring? <laughs> and crush it in his hand. <laughs> That's right. That's right. This match also demonstrates to me that I still don't know which young book is which. <laughs> Which one's Max and which one's Jeremy? I was going to say Max and Jeremy. That's exactly yeah. what I was thinking. <laughs> and I, and I, know, I, know, I know the difference between the ones in Generation Me. I just don't know the difference between the young books. <laughs> oh, uh, Mark, say Machine Guns are coming back to AEW. I know yeah. this is the old news by the time this comes out, but the, the young books, Mark, say Machine Guns, Full Metal Mayhem match, I think it's about 2013 or whatever in TNA. An absolute banger. Yes. I feel like I need to go back and educate myself about a bit more setting machine guns because I'm sort of aware that they're the seminal tag team. I have never seen if, if you, a single match. If you like the Young Bucks, the Motor City Machine Guns are the Young Bucks before the Young Bucks were a thing and infinitely more likable. <laughs> it's one of them not <laughs> like a doctor or something. If I get the wrong end of the stick there. Uh, I, think, I think you might be thinking of the, uh, the American Wolves. Because I'm oh. sure Davy Richards left wrestling to become a paramedic. Oh, is that what it is? Briefly. Right. Yeah. I don't, I don't know about Shelley. Alex Shelley out of the Motor City Machine Guns may have got some sort of qualification, but I don't know what it is. Davy Richards yeah. is back in MLW at the moment. Yeah, he's, he's back on the scene. He's come back to Impact briefly as well. It's a really bloody good time to be watching shows, uh, to be watching shows like MLW and Impact. Uh, well, it's, um, it's the season break for MLW, so it's not a really good time to watch an MLW right now. Well, it was with David Richards coming back. Give me a fucking break, Rob. <laughs> Genuine question: Like, how do you watch MLW? Like, what's the? It's on YouTube. Oh, is it? Yeah, yeah. I think there is one of the UK channels that has it as well. They're definitely showing like classic MLW on oh, okay. um, yeah. the zone or something. And and for Impact, is that? Like on Impact Plus, or something else. <laughs> yeah, no, it's Impact Plus, and and this is what's annoying. Impact is putting out some of the best stuff they've done in years, but it's locked away behind Impact Plus on the app, which works okay. Or you have to go through the browser, which works like shit. And it's just the fact that they've got a lot of ads, and it's always the same two or three ads repeated over and over four times a show. And then once you've finished the show it doesn't recognise that you're still logged in. So you have to log out of your account and then log back in to watch another show if you want to like do a little binge. Oh, I see. And it's, it's one of those things where, Rob said before about the LOL TNA thing, this is very much a LOL TNA move, but not on TV. It's like just sort of basic user accessibility, which is really annoying. Yeah, but that's annoying. Once you, but once you get into the product, it's worth it. But anyway, we got distracted from the match again. Um, <laughs> I'll be honest, this, this, 
wasn't really my this wasn't really my cup of tea. There was enough sort of flipping and flying and, and people in and out and and spots to to mostly keep my attention, but um, it was quite forgettable as far as I'm concerned. I don't know how you guys felt about it. I enjoyed it. I mean, the main thing that I remembered from it prior to watching it again was obviously like Moxley like randomly appearing up in the middle of it and then brawling to the back with Omega and then putting them through the table. That's like mainly what I remember from it like prior to this. And then obviously the formation of the inner circle at the end is like quite a big like moment in the AEW history. Um, see, see, to me, that's separate to the match. Ah, uh, true, true. Yeah, I mean that's a fair comment. Then no, there's not like a great deal that stands out. It was and a short and, match. And, 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 Ten minutes. And, and I will give you Moxley because I'd kind of forgotten that that happened because uh, I've not read that. I've not skimmed that far through my notes. But yeah, the Mox Omega stuff where it's the uh, the Death Rider through the coffee table, that okay. was brilliant. But but again, kind of separate to the match. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, kind of like I guess. Like maybe like some sort of like booking that AEW might have like copped some flack for like later on. It's like there was other random like running like thing happening. Yeah, <laughs> in the street was match. But I, I mean, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. I don't mind a running, but I do mind the commentary shitting on it because when Moxley's doing the Death Rider through the table. Jim Ross is saying, uh, "I'm surprised we haven't had an intervention by any security." Yeah. Uh, and and it's you know, Jim, just shut the fuck up. You know, it literally <laughs> silence would have done better for the products than that. I've got, I've got really mixed feelings about Jim Ross, like in general, because on the one hand, I feel like he's very honest. Like if you think something's rubbish, you'll just say it. You know what I mean? Like he will. Yeah. Just say it. So on the one hand, I kind of feel I kind of admire that up to a point, but. It was very noticeable watching this episode again after a little period of how much effort he's putting in to put the product over, as mm. opposed to like last week where he was like literally crapping over everything. You know, like whatever you think of like the standard of the ring product like today, like it's actively like detrimental like to the product to have someone the main commentator, in fact, like consistently like you know. But I actually felt he was on form in general in this episode. Um, obviously, like, there'll be a few, a few gaffes and stuff. But he he seemed genuinely energized. Like you know, you can hear it in his voice. You can hear it, he gets really excited still for the big moments. Like when CM Punk came back, you could hear you could just hear in his voice mm-hmm. he, was, he was excited. And I sort of felt the same for most of of, of this first dynamite. Yeah, that's fair enough. Obviously, I've I've not. I don't think it's a good four months that I've not watched any AEW, so I don't know if it's if it's changed that drastically in that time. But yeah, I take your point. I'm not as down on uh, on this match as as you are, Dan. I, I thought it was a decent match. Just thought it got a little bit shit on. I, I did like that they did the whole sausage crushing in the picture in picture. <laughs> Yeah, um, I, because at yeah. least something happened in the picture-in-picture. Picture. Give me something. You know, uh, th- this show's been very hit and miss, and a lot of shows these days are very miss with the hit, the picture-in-picture. Uh, picture. At least we got some bits on on some of these segments. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And 
One thing I will give this match, and, and more specifically Jericho, I actually like the Judas effect as a finish. I don't know how you guys feel about it. I, I really liked it. Um, I heard a lot of people who watched WWE basically comparing it unfavourably to Andrade's spinning elbow at the time, which apparently was really good, which he, uh, he has kind of stopped using that, I assume, since he went to EW, like deliberately to stop direct comparisons with the Judas elbow. But I thought that the, um, they got it over very well because I don't believe he had that finisher prior to coming to EW, did he? So, no. like, to me, like, they, they got that finisher over really well. Like, you know that if you get hit with it, that's it. Yeah, I, I quite like it as a finisher, personally. I like finishers that can be hit on anyone. And mm. you can't do the lion term after it to everyone, but you can do the Judas effect to anyone. And I, I've gained a, an even bigger appreciation to it uh, recently because I know very little about MMA. Don't know about you guys, but I know very little about it. And when they showed like vignettes of Jericho working on the Judas effect, this spinning back elbow to the jaw, and they were saying, you know, it's MMA trade and all that. I sort of took that with a pinch of salt, as it being, oh, you know, it's, it's wrestling trying to make something more than it is, and and all the rest of it. Until recently, there's been uh, Paddy, uh, two Scouse MMA fighters, Paddy Pimblett. Oh, uh, is it Molly McCann? I keep wanting to call him Molly Maguire, but I'm pretty sure that was a character in Shameless. Um, <laughs> yeah, Molly McCann. And Molly McCann has finished her last two fights with a spinning back elbow. She's finished it with a Judas effect. Wow. And the first time she hit it, I saw the clips on Twitter and, and whatnot, and it was like, oh, my God, she's actually hit it, you know, and just complete disbelief. And then she hit it again. And the reaction was doubled. So I liked it anyway, because it's a decent strike, and like Rob said, it can be hit on anyone. But now I know it's a legit, difficult... I know I know for certain, sorry, that it's a legit, difficult MMA move. It just increases it tenfold. But we've sort of skirted around it a little bit. I think the main sort of purpose of this match is to build to Omega versus Mox. And then the really big one in terms of AEW and, and the history of AEW, as, as you look, as people will look back on, is the aftermath to this match, right. where we see what could be viewed as sort of a very WCW finish, where everybody's running in. You know, there's so much chaos and there's so many bodies and there's so many people around, but this sets up the faction that will effectively dominate AEW screen time for, what, a year and a half, two years? Yeah. In the formation of the Inner Circle. So if we were going to do the original format and do the five factors, this would have easily been one of mine with the formation of the Inner Circle because this was, in terms of AEW, this was huge. My problem was with how they did it. But this was massive at the end, wasn't it? Yeah. I, I mean, again, I don't have like too many historical counterpoints, but um, and and by the way, and because I'd not watched WWE for like twenty years, I had no idea who Jake Hager was at the time when I was watching this. I was like, "Who the fuck is this massive guy?" You um, are so, lucky. <laughs> you are very lucky. <laughs> and you know, the we the people chants and stuff meant nothing to me. I had no idea what they were talking about. So for me, this was like a kind of shocking 
and really effective like end sequence. Again, it's hard not to like transport yourself forward in time because like it, like the inner circle were like a really effective heel stable for quite a long time. But if you look at where the members of the inner circle are now, again, you're like, did that stable do anything to elevate anyone in it? And you have to say the answer to that is no, because <laughs> um, Jericho still. So, quite briefly. I know, but I mean, as soon as he broke out on his own, he kind of fell a bit flat on his face, really. As soon as he moved away from Jericho, I mean... Well, I mean, he doesn't know how to lay out a match, you know, I think that's really obvious from, like, when he's not fighting Cody or Jericho. But, I mean, even, like... I mean, you can't... I guess if if Santana and Ortiz have had, like, a falling out or something, you can't really lay the blame at, like, Jericho or the faction at that, but... You know, they say, like, one of the cast-iron tests... One of the cast-iron tests of a faction, right, is, like... Has it got the guys over, like when the faction disbands? And it's like Jericho is was good then and is good now. Like what, what about the other four? You know, they're like that's definitely not elevated anyone. So again, it's kind of interesting to sort of view it in that that lens. Mm. Just thinking there about you know the cast iron test of a faction is if people are elevated afterwards, and is that always the case? I guess, you know, the, the biggest money-making faction of all time, the NWO, were Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, and Hulk Hogan bigger than after the NWO than before it. I'd say Kevin Nash was bigger. I don't necessarily know if the other two Hogan, were. Hogan's a hard one, isn't it, to measure by any barometer? Yeah, and I was just thinking about all the iterations of the Four Horsemen, Gene and Ole Anderson. Tully Blanchard and Ric Flair, it's like, well, there's probably only Flair that comes out bigger. I don't know. Paul Roma. Oh, yeah, Paul Roma. Well, I was, you know, um, <laughs> Barry Windham, that kind of thing. So mm. uh, I think there is value in a faction for the faction's sake, and the inner circle were a big faction. Uh, yeah. And you always run a risk of Jake Hager in your promotion, as Luke's Underground <laughs> found in season four. <laughs> And as, as five-star wrestling found out immediately. Well, exactly. Well, I mean, they employed Riddle, so, you know, but they, they were scraping the bottom of the barrel, weren't they? Yeah, well, yeah. But, um, so I was just thinking about, I was, you say about the factions robbing people and elevating people. I was going to put forward DX, but then I remembered Road Dog and Billy Gunn. They definitely got bigger off that. They did. Sometimes it's worth having a faction for the faction's sake. Oh, sure. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, there needed to be a big heel faction in the AEW. Like, there needed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I personally quite enjoyed the inner circle like, throughout its lifetime. I thought they broke it up at the wrong time. I thought they should have broken up at the cage match. It was a logical time to break them up, and they didn't. And that was a bit indulgent, I thought, to keep them together like, longer than they should have been. So it's not, I don't, I'm not like denigrating the inner circle. I think they're like a really important faction in AEW history. They were the main heel faction. I'm just thinking for the other people that aren't, don't happen to be Chris Jericho within that stable, like, was that a helpful thing for their careers to be part of the inner circle? And at the moment, I'm looking particularly at the tag team and Sammy and thinking, I don't think it was, actually. Could it be the case that it was helpful while they were part of the inner circle? Possibly, possibly. There's always that risk of like, you know, people, some people are going to 
naturally progress because they just are mm. and some just aren't and I think you, you do kind of need to accept that I mean there I guess there are other people that have been around Jericho that probably have benefited more from from his presence um, yeah Hager gets to make a living and not live under a bridge <laughs> and be put over by GR like every week like with the same the same like put over comment Oklahoma yeah I suppose like I'm thinking about other factions like um, like Team Taz right like to me Team Taz there was a faction okay Brian Cage poor old Brian Cage I don't know what happened to him but like two like I no, shit <laughs> well you know maybe for good reason I don't know but I mean like to me like out of Team Taz, you've got three like really promising like people coming out of that who are elevated by their presence. Obviously, not every faction is going to be that productive, but I mean, it's it's a good point, Rob. Like maybe maybe that's one criteria that you judge a faction on as star creation, and then the other is just like was it a good heel faction? And I think for the most part, the inner circle were like what they needed to be um, until the cage patch happened. Yeah, I, I think they were great on some of the parts. I, I, I was happy with the Inner Circle as a, a faction in, in and of itself. Uh, I don't particularly mind that the separate parts of it didn't elevate yeah. because... I, I suppose it's just a bit of, like, again, I go back to it, but like there was just something about this this main event that, particularly, I think probably more Santana and Ortiz, because Sal, Sammy's had a fair crack of the whip, I think. And maybe like come up short in a few areas, and that's that's fine. You know these things happen. But Santana and Ortiz, for me, they were the ones with the real star potential. Like like Santana for me, he's got something quite special. Like I think he's quite a special yeah. guy. And the fact he's now just going to like come to the end of his contract and leave, I think that's a huge missed opportunity. Like I, I uh, saw him as being a world champion. I really did. But I've not even mentioned Ortiz goes round with a butter sock. One thing I love that Ortiz Ortiz does is that just sort of he just stands dead straight, stiff straight, and then just falls into the headbutt. Headbutt, yeah. But and he'll just lay there waiting for the pin. That's right. Just absolutely love that. It's never not funny, and it's a nice moment of sort of levity in in what is otherwise a what isn't or what used to be a full throttle tag team match. Harley Race is killing the business. That's what that is. <laughs> <laughs> oh god! Uh, did you guys have any any other thoughts on the uh, on the match or the aftermath? Because we see, you know, Cody comes out to interrupt the the post match beatdown, and then Guevara gets his nut shot back, and then it's Dustin, it's Hager, it's just the, then just the heels get on top. So, do you have any more thoughts or? I love Dustin's the mad reaction for Dustin off the back, presumably of the legendary match he had with Cody. That, that right. made me smile. Now, now that I will, un- I will unashamedly and, and without hesitation praise both men for because I absolutely love that match. Regardless of my feelings on Cody, I cannot fault their match. I think I think that's Cody's. I think that's the biggest match of Cody's career so far. I think that was like a because again I didn't really know much about him, like apart from some grainy like shots of him at indie shows and I knew he'd left, which made me interested in him. But um yeah, that was definitely a match that made me sit up and take notice. And also I think because it was on the edge, because of the blood, 
like I felt quite uncomfortable watching it at some points. Mm. And it took me to a place that wrestling had never taken me before because I'd never seen WCW or anything else other than, you know, like Attitude Era, right? So it totally took me to a different place. So no, it was just, it was nice getting hearing them get that recognition at the end. But no, I mean, I, I, I just, it's one of my favourite episodes of wrestling TV that I've ever seen. So yeah, loved, just loved every minute of it, really. I I know this is an opinion unheld by me. I wasn't a massive fan of Cody versus Dustin. I felt that they shotgunned it a bit. It, it went from zero to a hundred uh, in terms of there wasn't that sort of progression through a series of matches where where they got it to the point that it, it was that bad. It's very hard to do blood and get a appropriate amount of blood for the match. Uh, and Dustin was bleeding an absolute gusher in the match. I compare it to other matches where there was a lot of blood, and with Wax Oracle, I think it was In Your House Free, the Brett Bulldog match, with a lot of blood, yeah. which I actually think was better than SummerSlam 92. I think that is the gold standard of a lot of blood match, and for me, it, it wasn't on that level. I know a lot of people don't don't see it that way but but for me it felt like they hadn't built it sufficiently uh, it felt too quick and it wasn't executed that well I, I know i'm on an island with that but yeah it, it's it's just one that I, I don't see what everyone else sees in that match was uh, was aubrey O'Brien referee in that one can't remember to be honest uh, <laughs> I, I mean so I, that, that's another I, I've got, uh, well, if I go back and watch it, I may even hate it even more than I do now. But uh, I don't I don't hate it. I just, I just do, it's one of those things where it's held up as a great match and I just don't see it. Yeah. If that makes there's, sense. Rather than always, saying it's a bad, I'm not saying it's a bad no, match. No, no. I'm just saying no, I don't I see the praise for it that it gets. Yeah. No, I think there's always going to be, I think, matches where everyone's waxing lyric and you're just like, like no, like you know, what I mean? like no, it's <laughs> wrong. No, I mean, I, I think, I think it's just one of those things. Like, I, I, I'm not actually that. I mean, this kind of sounds funny from an EW fan, but I don't actually like blood wrestling that much. I kind of wish they'd like stop doing it like yeah. so much. Obviously, when Cody left, that like you know the blood quotient dropped dropped significantly at that point. I, yeah, I mean, I think in its defence, like they didn't have TV to build it, so. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like it was a standing start, and to, yeah. to me, that's like why it's such a work of art. Is like you're basically building without any no build, so they're building within the match. They've got to escalate th- it within the match, and to me, that's I like, think as well. I was going to say with them with them not having the TV, they're kind of telling a story, and it, it's it's a, a relatively simple one. It's brother brother versus brother, which. In itself is is a, is a story, and the vast majority of people tuning into that show will know the history. I think that in this instance, you didn't. The majority of the audience didn't need to do the homework, and and that sort of that just sort of sold it, and then they played up to that. Um, but to be honest, I've I've only watched it on the night. I've never actually gone back and watched it again. So I'd be very interested in a rewatch 
to see how I feel about it a few years down the line. It's an uncomfortable watch. I, I've rewatched it. It, it was at the time, yeah. I, I, even watching it again, I found it uncomfortable. And, and um, one of my favourite matches of all time involves Terry Funk getting kicked by a horse. <laughs> oh, that that was beautiful. I, I love that. Yeah, C- Cody versus Dustin had another nuance of uh, Chris Candido versus Terry Funk versus a horse. <laughs> <laughs> Surely that's the point to to draw it to a close. How could we ever top that as a rounding off point? Yeah, yeah exactly. So. That, that, that is the end of the show. The, the, what comes to be the inner circle stand tall and they spent an inordinate amount of time focusing on Jake Hager and his, and his very fancy polo shirt. <laughs> so I don't think there were particularly any adverts on this show. unless I mean, obviously it's Capital One Arena. So get out there, get a Buff Bagwell Capital One credit card. <laughs> Maybe not Buff Bagwell at the minute. Well, there, there were loads. There, there was a Sting one. There was a, a Jeff Jarrett one. Mm. I, I still kind of hope Sting holds the AEW title at some point. I, I think he should. <laughs> I, I, I'd make him AEW champion. I'd have fucking made David Arquette AEW champion, so <laughs> don't listen to me. <laughs> um, I actually think that when David Arquette did that whole You Can't Kill David Arquette uh, documentary, I think that would have been a good thing. I think it would have been good for David Arquette to win the title from Jericho because Jericho, when he was in WCW, he was very much of the belief that everyone at the top of the card was holding everyone else back. And then he became the thing that he hated. And David Arquette had flipped from being the celebrity that came in and you know won the world champion because he was a celebrity to putting loads of work in uh, and building up. And I think there would have been a story in that if you'd have had a few matches, especially the death matches that David Arquette was doing for that audience, I think would have been brilliant at the time, but not to be. But suffice it to say, no adverts yeah. on the show. But in terms of shout-outs that we've had for the show... Lee Conway at LDCon71 has posted a picture of himself wearing a New York Enforcers shirt. <laughs> I wonder where he got that from. I wonder, I wonder. I don't know if that's a, a hint for, for later on. We've had multiple um, shout-outs from the SJP World Media family. Danny and Sai shouted out on Nitro Nights, and uh, we got shouted out on Chain Wrestling as well with uh, Mags and Sai so thank you very much for that love you boys thank you yeah Steve shouted us out on um, his FPL feed so thank you very much for that uh, Steve and thank you very much for the booker it betters that you do and the outtakes that you post they're absolutely gold we're not worthy we're not worthy sorry went Wayne's World there for a second we're really not worthy Danny at Scottish Juggalo said that he learnt so much from our time-travelling episode 100 years ago to the 1913 review. Oh, that was so much fun. I love that. I really enjoyed that. I feel like we need to do more like that. Yeah, we we really do. We really do. And we've managed to shock Millwall Chris with it. So (laughs) that's that's an achievement considering he watches Millwall, which is like being in 1913, really, isn't it? At what point in history did they live in bouncy castles? 
well, in Millwall, I think they do, they, they do already. Although we, we know that Millwall Chris lives down a well, so. <laughs> <laughs> high five Tom from the Marking Out with High Five Tom podcast. I mean, they absolutely waxed lyrical about that 1913 match. They mentioned it on the podcast. They actually put a link to it in the podcast description for their, their latest episode. Uh, and they're talking about Ring of Honor 2012, so 99 years previously to what they're covering. And um, <laughs> they were absolutely on board with, with that Potensky smackle match, uh, which oh. would have actually fit in pretty well with Ring of Honor 2012. Apparently so. I've never watched any of Ring of Honor 2012, but absolutely blown away by uh, by the shout-out. It, it really was incredible. Thank you so much. Yeah, well, I, I do think that Schmeckel had a bit of a, uh, a figure of a Kevin Steen in 2012. <laughs> <laughs> Tripods uh, Reynolds uh, said that the, uh, the match got really, uh, really tense between Schmeckel and Potensky, so uh, yeah, yeah, we completely agree with that one. Uh, again, uh, Horatio Max at Horatio underscore Max. Who? Never heard, Never heard of him. Yeah, he, he said it looked like a good one for that uh, 1913 match. So we're converting everyone to 1913 wrestling at this rate. <laughs> Dodgy, 1913 yeah. Czech, Czech Republic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, Steve-O from his Ad Total Steve-O account said that he'd learned a lot from sort of our descriptions of the WCW uh, ending and coming into WWE for the invasion, coming up to what well, is discussion about 2002. So uh, thank you very much for that, Steve. Yeah, thank you, mate. Always appreciated. Again, we're not worthy. So next up is the awards section of the show, and we'll start with match of the night. Horatio, what was your match of the night? I think my match of the night was definitely the opener. Very special introduction to AEW and a really fantastic match between Cody and a very uh, young-looking Sammy Guevara. So that was my match of the night. Yeah, hard to argue against that, like a, like I've said many times over the course of this podcast. Don't particularly like either guy, but can't fault the work they put in there. Uh, Rob, <laughs> what, Rob, what's your match of the night? There's not really any wrong answers on this card. Um, I'm going for Pack Hangman. Uh, I preferred that one. You know, bell to bell, uh, myself. But no, there's a lot of good matches on this card. Yeah, again, can't fault the logic there. You, you might fault mine though. Uh, I've gone for Riho versus Nyla Rose. From wrong, Dan. You're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just it's just from the this, this standpoint that they turned around an app, you know, an apathetic crowd, and actually got them into it, and, and and they won me over with it as well. By and large, it was much better than. I remember it being. Yes, it's got the bits and pieces that, that annoyed us and took us out of it at times, but I'm uh, I'm still giving it uh, still giving it that credit for the uh, like I say for winning over myself and and the live crowd as well. So great choice. It's, it's my pick. Fuck you, Rob. Yeah, I, I was about to say there were any wrong answers on the card, but then I realised there was a wrong answer, <laughs> and you found it. Yeah, well, it's just my fucking opinion. <laughs> <laughs> paraphrasing friends of the show Joe for so next up is the MVP of the night Horatio who is your MVP oh I think I think it has to be Cody for me um, lays out a hell of a match and uh, that's a recurring theme within especially the first year of AW Dynamite he did a great job in those early days so I think that's reflected in that great first match so it's Cody for me fair enough Rob 
Yeah, I'm going with MJF. Uh, great promo. Looks like a star. It's got to be MJF for me. Fair enough. I've gone a slightly different direction. My MVP is Chris Jericho. He was involved in the most segments of the night. He was, he was sort of peppered throughout. We saw him after the Cody match, uh, laying on the beat down. We we saw him backstage. Uh, but no, it wasn't him backstage, was it? It was the books. Uh, but you know, then he was in the uh, he was in the main event as well. He was sort of the, the fulcrum of everything, and and obviously we set up the inner circle, which is still sort of having an effect, to my knowledge, at least when I stopped watching, you know, a year and a half on. So uh, it was Jericho for me uh, on this show. Next up is moment of the night. What's your moment of the night, Horatio? Oh, man, I think my moment of the night is just the, the, the first entrance of Cody coming out to the ring and just the energy that that he's been given by the crowd and he's feeling it and you can tell he's emotional after the match as well. But I think that very first pop uh, for Cody and his, his ring walk, that to me is a very special moment in AEW history. Yeah, we can't fault that. This crowd were, were, were on form pretty much the whole night, so... It's yeah, I can completely understand that. Uh, Rob, what's your moment of the night? It's the Cody slash Sammy Guevara video package at the start of the show. Uh, I thought they put that together really well, really made me invested in the match. So, uh, good work there, and uh, I'd like to see more of it in AEW. Yeah, it, that was excellent. Uh, can't fault that at all. I've I'm breaking the rules a little bit, I'm, I'm, I'm giving a joint, uh, joint moment of or moments of the night, and one's for the the sort of one of the biggest the biggest pop um on the show from the live crowd uh, and ones for what got the biggest pop from me personally so the biggest pop from the live crowd i thought was actually reho winning the title and the one that got the biggest pop from me personally was cody getting kicked in the dick uh, <laughs> <laughs> i particularly enjoyed that <laughs> But if I if I'm but if I'm not being a tosser about it, it's um uh, Reho winning got a great reaction and, and like I said before it was in a match that nobody gave a shit about at the start, so and obviously you know, first women's champion crowned on the first ever dynamite. Um I thought it was it was worthy of praise. A special mention as well would go to the sort of the formation of the inner circle at the end, but Reho just sort of Edged it out there. Trust me, that, that yeah. you, you Jake Hager that segment at the end, which takes well, it down a few notches. Well, that's what that's why he didn't win. <laughs> <laughs> so next up is sign of the night, Horatio. Did you see any signs out and about? Oh man, I wish I'd paid more attention. I wasn't taking notes detailed enough to to give a proper answer on that. But I know I know you guys will have done so. Uh, ah, fair enough. What you saw. Uh, Rob? Yeah, there wasn't too many signs on this show, and the signs that there were were mostly for the talent. You know, if Mm. I see a sign staying a little bit of bubbly or whatever, I don't really count it because it's just parroting a catchphrase from the show. I I like it when it's something a little bit off the wall, which Mm. is why my sign of the night is going to much as grassy as fake razor. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't even see that one. That's brilliant. I uh, I only I only picked out a few at the start of the show. I saw a sign that said Vince Fears ratings, yeah, uh, which is a nice sort of throwback to the Monday Night Wars. Uh, there was also one that said Thank you, Jericho. A little bit of the bubbly for you, uh, which I thought was nice. And that was it really. But I had to my winner for uh, for this week uh, is simply an ego trip for me because there was a sign that said Dan O'War. 
<laughs> I did see that one, but I thought I'd leave that one for you because I appreciate it because you knew I was going to pick it. Because yeah, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm a mark for myself. <laughs> so finally, the most important award of the night, the Rene Goulet Award for Outstanding Haircut of the Night, Horatio. Who gets your Rene Goulet? Uh, I mean, it's hard to see past Hangman Adam Page uh, for this one for me. Oh. Um, what a fine, what a fine head of hair that man has. Luscious, luscious. I think is the word. Yeah. So yeah, can't fault Hangman. Rob, who gets your Rene Goulet? Uh, well, this Barnet was channeling Roddy Piper's level of insane haircut. Uh, you know, <laughs> the haircut that would just say the person that had it was insane rather than, you know, being a ridiculous 80s haircut. So it has to go to pack for me. Fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. The the, the greasy rat heel the, um, <laughs> side of things. I've gone a, a shock horror. I've gone a different route. I've given it to uh, to Ortiz for his uh, for the little sort of dread action that he had going, spiky yeah. dread action that he had going on. Thought yeah. that was unique. We've not seen much of that on this show before, so I had to give it yeah. to Ortiz. Plus, as we said before, um, they're just a really underrated tag team, and I wanted to shoehorn uh, at least one member of LAX in somehow. Quite right. So, Horatio, what would you rate the show out of ten? I I can't. There is no other answer. For the first dynamite, other than ten out of ten, it's it's got a special place in my heart alongside SummerSlam '89. It's on a par with like the very special early memories I have of wrestling, and it made me feel like an eight-year-old kid again. So I can't give it anything other than a ten. I, th- I thought we might be heading that way, mate. That was uh, that was one of the easiest predictions to make, I think, story-wise. <laughs> but you know, it, like you say, when it holds holds such a special place. You you can't do anything but can you? It's uh, yeah, really understandable. Uh, Rob, bring us crashing back down to earth. <laughs> the, the difficulty I have with this show is that there's some of the show that I really love, and some of it that I really hate. Mm. And so, in, in my mind, because I think it's really love and really hate it in equal measures. I'm giving it a five out of five, but that that's the caveat that I've given some five out of fives on this show for just a boring pedestrian show. That this wasn't that. That there well, is definitely. Thing is, Rob, you've said it a couple of times now, but a five out of five is a ten out of ten equivalent. Sorry, I do beg your pardon. I'm giving it five out. I'm giving it five out of ten. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not getting five out of five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, melts a rating uh, system. Yeah, the beer's getting. To me. Uh, um, I was thinking about tweeting out on the uh, UTT tank that Scotts and Steiner understood percentages until they got hit in the face by Tank Abbott. Yeah. <laughs> that does uh, have to be a tank fact. Yeah. No, I'm giving it five out of ten. But as I say, that that's a five out of ten with half the show potentially, you know, being uh, a ten and half the show being a zero uh, for me. So it's like. In between, I'm not saying it's extreme as that, but yeah, there, there were certainly things that I absolutely loved on the show, and and you know the Remsburg, the Aubrey, the ridiculousness of the Reho match. There was some stuff that just boiled my blood. So, <laughs> oh, there's always got to be an Aubrey and Remsburg tax, hasn't there? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, there does. The highest, the highest rating Rob will ever give an AEW show is. Eight out of ten. If Rick Knox is refereeing, then I'm absolutely fine with it. <laughs> yeah, but there's always going to be Aubrey and Bryce, so you, that's two points off immediately. I mean, to be absolutely fair, it could have been worse because they only had a match each on this show. 
So yeah, maybe been a bit harsh, but no. I uh, but I think it does. I I do like the idea of a five not necessarily being mediocrity. Mm. A five doesn't mean it's shit, <laughs> does it? No. Well, and, and there were bits of this that distinctly weren't shit, but there were bits of this that really was shit. <laughs> so. <laughs> Oh, well, I can't follow your logic, mate, when you lay it out like that. For once, I've been the more optimistic of us two. I can't really fault much of what happened in the ring, um, apart from what we've already mentioned. You know, overall, the show was was very, very good. Um, Excalibur wasn't great on commentary to start off with, but it grew into it a little bit as time went on, and I you know, can make allowances for it being his first sort of live week, you know, live weekly show and what have you. And, and Chiavone and JR did well. I think they did quite a good job of sort of making what's all new again. Like I mentioned in the, you know, with the intro when you had all three stood at the desk and 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 all the rest of it. And some of the camera angles were really good choices as well. I like that they made a big deal of the time limits. They had a decent amount of stage pyro. They managed to lay on a fair bit of story, more than I actually remember. And they did a decent job of hyping up, you know, hyping the upcoming pay for you. And the crowd was was there for the vast majority. You know, for the first show, they drew clear lines of faces and heels, established the rising stars and rivalries. It, it was a good debut show. It showed plenty of promise, but but with the you know with those room you know room for improvement because the first show is never going to be perfect. So I give it a, a solid seven out of ten. You go tell that to Lucha Underground or Glow Dan. <laughs> 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 I didn't give either of them a ten, did I? No, no, but they the, they were both excellent shows. Oh, they were better than this. Yeah, yeah. You know, if if we'd have had um, if we'd have had Nyla Rose singing about eating raw meat, I'd have uh, I'd have given it an eight. Oh, <laughs> N- Nyla Rose versus Matilda the Hun would have been Matilda the Hun would have been brilliant, wouldn't it? <laughs> it really would. Yeah. <laughs> oh God. Um, so what you say, mate? Well, between us. We're averaging about 7.3, something like that. And Cage Match gave it an average rating of 7.66. Wrestling Data gave it an average of 7.45. So we're pretty much in the ballpark. Yeah, not too shabby at all. I still think people don't fully believe that we don't talk about this beforehand. Yeah. <laughs> 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 or maybe we're just maybe we're just the same kind of marks that vote on wrestling day and cage match. <laughs> well, I, I think, I think there'll, be, there'll be some people who gave it a, an overly optimistic grade, some people who gave it an overly pessimistic grade, and uh, you, you've probably given it a fair. <laughs> and I'm the one that I'm the one with, with splinters in my ass from yeah. the fancy. Yeah, <laughs> so it comes comes out in the wash. Yeah, it does. It does. But it's been an absolute pleasure. Talking to you guys, it's been great to have you back, Horatio, um, to talk some AEW again. I'm sorry that we're going to have to put you through dark elevation. Um, <laughs> but, you've, you've, but you've kind of brought it on yourself. I, I want to see how you spin uh, how you spin dark elevation into a good thing. <laughs> Listen, there's a there's a price to be paid for everything, and if the price of reviewing the very first AEW Dynamite is to do dark elevation, then uh, I'm I'm willing to pay that price. Um, it's always a pleasure to to be in your company, guys. I love your podcast. I love the chemistry you have. I love how you stand out from the crowd and and what's quite a crowded space in the podcast game. And I'll be I'll be listening. I'll be listening in the future weeks. And thank you so much for having me on again. 
Oh, you're far too kind, mate. It's, it's been a delight, and we say every time that we speak to you, when's the love of AEW coming back? I know you don't want to bring it back, <laughs> but the, the listeners are demanding it. You've got to give the people what they want, in, uh, well, you, in the words of Excalibur. <laughs> well, you never know, you never know, but I, I sort of feel like um, I, I was trying to capture the zeitgeist before the big change, and the big change as well and truly happened these days, so I feel like it's a moment in time that I was trying to capture, and, and that's, that's really what it was all about, so... Who knows? Who knows? Well, time will tell. Time will tell. Well, for, for now, we're happy to have you as our AEW correspondent. <laughs> I'm glad to be. I'm glad to be the guy. Glad to be the guy. Well, we've got to have you balancing out for when me and Robin nitpicking and getting bitchy about things. <laughs> 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 so, uh, last thing, uh, where can people find you? Oh, uh, Horatio underscore Max. Usually eulogising about AEW. Um, maybe complaining a bit more about women's booking these days, but yeah, that's where you can find me. Great stuff. Rob, where can people find you? Yeah, you can find me at UTT Rob. It's really more about the mutuals and it is about the followers. So I'm absolutely more than happy to follow back on the same channel that you're listening to this. You can hear the Unbooking the Tankatory podcast um, and you can follow that at UTT Tank. And we're following the ups and downs of the in-ring career of Tank Abbott legitimately the hardest man that ever lived uh, and if you go to that twitter handle you can get some hashtag tank facts oh you can such as most people worry about getting struck by lightning lightning worries about getting struck by a tank Abbott. <laughs> that still makes me laugh <laughs> to ensure that uh, he wasn't underpaid during contact negotiations with wcw tank abbott picked eric bishop up by the ankles and shook all the loose change out of his pockets and that's the actual origin story of ATM Eric. <laughs> and the phrase, the pen is mightier than the sword, originates back to the time that Tank Abbott won an Olympic gold medal for fencing using only a pen that he'd stolen from the bookies. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, to go along with that, a little known, little known sidebar in the same Olympics, he used the same pen to win the javelin. In case you can't tell, Rob tends to uh, be the one to unearth these tank facts, and I, I'll just go along for the ride. I absolutely love them. They're, They're all 100% verifiable facts that we've dug up, aren't they? It's not. But it's all a conspiracy by the Guinness Book of World Records to keep Tank Abbott out of the limelight because he's just too powerful. Oh, as that's got <laughs> Danny once pointed out, the Guinness Book of World Records was originally called Tank Abbott's Diary. Yeah. <laughs> oh that's great stuff oh god god bless scottish danny for that that's that's beautiful you can find me on twitter at dan griffin 21 usually tweeting about uh, wrestling that's a minimum six weeks out of date or movies that are 25 years out of date Uh, you can hear me on the doctor who pod over on the uh, sjp world media network uh, talking with side power alternating week to week between classic who and new who uh, seeing what lands for me uh, as a new who fan with the classic who and vice versa for si uh, with the new who as a classic who fan we should probably also say on the same channel that you're listening to this, you can hear the One Man's Meat podcast with Scottish Danny and uh, the real Chris Bellis, where they're looking at the forgotten storylines of wrestling. Wrestlers that might not get that much love, that kind of thing. 
Yeah, absolutely. And uh, go over to their feed as well, where they do the side projects acceptable in the 90s, uh, where Chris is taking a look back on, uh, uh, on uh, you know, on sort of a simpler time and taking a, taking a more positive view of uh, 90s wrestling uh, as a whole. And their side project, Disgusting Awful, uh, where they talk about uh, horror movies, uh, past and present, a great listen, uh, very much in the vein of the Netflix series, the movies that made us, uh, except they unearth, you know, Chris talks about unearth things and about that, even those shows don't cover uh, so give them a little really well researched really well informed and just an absolute joy and talking about horror movies uh, we might get round to uh, reviewing some horrible acting when we review Baywatch and then if we want to do even more horrible acting we could even review pro wrestlers versus zombies yeah a nice little crossover there <laughs> I've got that Pro Wrestlers vs. Zombies on DVD. I think you can get it from CDX for about 50p. It's it's the best 50p you'll ever spend. You know when you go into CX and it says you can sell things or you can donate things, do you think there's been donated? <laughs> I think somebody paid them to take it away. Yeah, they take it away. <laughs> anyway, lads, it's been an absolute blast. Thank you again, Horatio. Thank you, as ever, Rob. And we'll see you all down the road. Thank you for listening. What a champion we have. What an AEW champion we have. Oh, the Judas effect! That stiff back elbow, the Judas effect by Jericho. That wild-eyed look at Hager's face. 100% efficiency on that Judas effect every time he hits it. It's lights out for his opponent. We have just seen the destruction of all elite. At the Jericho loves it. He's got a monster in, in Hager. Good Lord, ladies and gentlemen, what a night. What a night. And we'll see you next week. We'll be in Boston. It's sold out. But we'll see you right here on TNT for AEW Dynamite.